You're listening to Power Athlete Radio, a podcast dedicated to empowering your performance every damn day. Join former NFL pro and Power Athlete founder John Wellborn as he dissects the greatest minds in strength, conditioning, and more. So whether your goal is to be the hammer, destroy mediocrity, or simply move the dirt, you've come to the right place. Now with the warm-up done, let the gains begin. We interrupt this episode for a shameless self-promotion. Everyone's a hero in January, but when it comes to February and beyond, not so much. If you want to be one of the few who punch the entirety of 2024 in its smirking face, then do it with Power Athlete. With an annual subscription, you'll get 365 days of performance-oriented programming delivered to your phone. It's like having a world-class coach, aka me, John Wellborn, in your pocket for less than a dollar a day. When you compare it to the month-to-month package, you're scoring a whole two months for free. And because I'm feeling extra generous this holiday season, everyone who signs up for a year before January 31st gets a training consult with me and my team worth hundreds of big ones for free. All you have to do is sign up over at www.powerathletehq.com forward slash training. Don't be a just for January athlete. Commit to the cause with Power Athlete and crush 2024 like you hit it with a hammer. Remember, I'll say it again. That's powerathletehq.com forward slash training. Now back to the episode. So what's up? You got married? Congratulations. I was there. Yeah. Yeah. You're there for my uh, long and extended wedding, right? It's very about, short. About 15 minutes or yeah, so. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah. You're like, hey, uh, thanks for coming. Thanks but for coming. The longest part was when your wife got up and spoke and yeah. you were totally blown away because you thought that nobody was going to speak. You were just going to high five well, yeah. and get well, up. Well, she was like, she's like, I just want to acknowledge my friends. So I'm like, all right, whatever you want to do. <laughs> and then... 30 minutes later i'm like oh wow well, all right you talked about everybody here yeah. it's like i don't have anything else left i don't have anything to add thanks thanks yeah. for coming folks <laughs> doc's like there's my friends over there all right let's get some drinks <laughs> yeah nice did you guys go on a trip or honeymoon or anything no nah, we did a we did a bit of a honeymoon like you know we got married at the courthouse in june sure and then uh we went down to that eagle eagles pass or hmm. something like yeah, that eagle, it has, pass. eagle pass texas yeah and that has a like a hotel there with an observatory and it's on the water and had like a, like nothing big. Nice. So we travel all the damn time anyway. It's like, it's like a vacation to be home actually. <laughs> it's just like, oh, let's stay home. Nice. <laughs> Get out of bed at 10. That'd be awesome. Yeah. 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 We don't have kids anymore. You know, we can do things like that. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> kids are the uh, interesting curveball that life throws you. Yeah. I'm right in the throws of it. Yeah, you are. Well, you're, how old's Cash? Six, seven. Six, seven. Seven. Yeah. yeah. The girls are 12. Yeah. You're still down there. Oh, the, uh, the one is, uh, my daughter, you know, they, they go to a private school and my daughter, uh, Jamie has decided that private school is too small and she wants to go to public school, mm. which I'm not real excited about, yeah, I wouldn't but, be either. uh, she has nine kids in her class. One is her sister and she wants more kids. And I told her, I'm like, okay, you can go for, uh, starting in for the spring semester, starting, you know, a couple weeks. If you want to go to public school for a semester and see what it's like. And at the end of the year, we'll evaluate grades and whatnot. And uh, if everything and evaluate what she's learning. Yeah. Yeah. So we had a long conversation about the reason we put them in private school. Right. And the education and the track and what they what they're learned versus what they're taught and the star test. And we got into it. And she's like, I just feel that, you know, having nine kids in my class and one of which is your sister is just too small. And she also wants to play basketball, wants to play sports. <clears throat> and she's on a bunch of club stuff and wants to play teams. So yeah. I was like, all right, you want to try like for a semester, but at the end of the year, we're going to do a little bit of V-Val. So I had to go talk to her head. And how old is she? Uh, 12. She's pretty well 
I mean, they're still easily influenced, but I yeah. feel like my influence is. Man, as soon as she came home and started talking about any kind of mess about people transitioning, I'd be like, you're out of there. Yeah. <laughs> like we're gone. Like you're going back to private school. <laughs> so my brother Ed uh, has a lawyer buddy whose son, I forgot where he went. Um, man, went to college, came home uh, at the end of the semester. This is re- like a couple days ago, a couple weeks ago, uh, came home into semester and his name is no longer Chris. He's Christy. Uh. <laughs> he like called my brother and he's like, what can I do? You know, <laughs> like, like, what do I have available to me? I'm just like, man, these are interesting times. You know, you send your kid to college and that's what you come back with. I mean, all my kids went to UC schools. And I'm a I'm UC school yeah, grad too. It wasn't like that back then. I mean, it was just starting to be like that, but it wasn't anything close to what it is now, you know. I mean, that it's just absolute insanity what they're teaching kids now. I mean, it's it's not even an education anymore. Like he, I, I think if you did an SAT after college, kids would do worse. Like I think people are getting, I think kids are getting dumber in school and they're getting their minds full of all sort of acti- activist bullshit. You know, that has nothing to do with. Oh, you mean the, uh, the social responsibility piece? Yeah. I mean, all the, the DEI crap and the transgender stuff. And the, like, I mean, I don't know their climate change and like, whatever. It's like all the socialist agenda, all the professors are socialist, you know, it's like 80, 90%, well, probably 95% or like pretty far left, you know, like they're all left to center except, you know, one or two here and there, uh, you know, VDH teaches at Stanford. He's like, he's the only, cons- I'm the only conservative professor there that I know of, you know, and you've heard, you've heard Jordan Peterson say like, I'm the only, I'm, I'm the only non left wing social scientist, yeah. you know? Uh, and he's not, like he's not even i wouldn't even consider him conservative really i mean he's like i guess he'd he'd be right of center but he's definitely not like you know a super he's not like a maga guy or something like he's just he just kind of hey these are the values that made society work like kind of let's let's hover around those i guess that makes him a conservative by their standards well he was saying too if uh you you put a you know 100 women and one man on an island yeah you know you're going to come back hundred years later and there's going to be a flourishing uh, economy. Yeah. You put a hundred men and one woman on there and you're going to come one, back and there's going to be a whole bunch of skulls. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, a hundred. Well, they, no, they, no, they, it, they it, did the same thing with the trans. Right? No, like, it, it was a yeah. hundred men and it was like, you have a hundred skulls. Yeah. 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 So we're getting to go see Jordan Peterson. So we got to see him. Oh, that's right. Yeah. After his first launch. Yep. And I'm, uh, I'm excited for this one. Just uh, having listened to him on Joe Rogan and some of the other podcasts, he's fucking sharp. Yeah, I felt like when we saw him, that was at the beginning of everything, and he so was that's uh, the beginning of his recovery. Yeah, yeah, and it yeah. was uh, it was very fragmented. Yeah, I felt like he was overwhelmed by one. I don't think he expected what he was going to see, and two, I don't know if he had had enough time to work through it. So that was that first one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think I can't remember exactly, but I think he sort of in that phase was sort of um, you know admitting that he was just kind of finding his bearings again. That you know he had. In his estimation, it nearly died several times trying to come off the benzos. Did they put him in an induce? I think I read that in this book. They, did they put him in like an induced coma in Russia. Well, yeah, I mean, he went to. I think he went to four or five different countries. Worked with all these different specialists, and um, you know, shit. All he needed was one dose of psychedelics. He would have been fine. You think? Oh <laughs> well, yeah, for sure. <laughs> one one heroic dose of psilocybin, he wouldn't. He would have never needed benzos again. And he went through all that crap, but. I mean, maybe he did it, but 
see that all the time. Like pretty much any kind of any kind of addiction uh, gets wiped out with that because it it's such a huge reset neurochemically. You know, neurochemically, like uh, and it's hard to measure exactly what's going on, but we know there's a ton of a uh, ton of changes in neuro you know, neuropeptides. Uh, um, with the yeah. work that you've done with the SEAL Foundation. Neurotransmitters, all like that stuff. Going down and doing the uh, <coughs> Ibogaine? Ibogaine is the primary one, primary one, yeah. Yeah, and then the, was it the DMT, keto DMT? Yeah, so they're, they're, all, D, they're all DMTs. Uh, even ketamine is like a synthetic DMT, essentially. Um, you know, and our brains secrete DMT. And uh, we think there's a... We think that the near-death experience of... <clears throat> you know, the universal oneness going towards the light, all that stuff you hear about. We think that's a DMT hyper excretion secretion while you're um, dying or whatever. Kind of give you some, because that's what did, that's what, you know, well over half the people report when they do DMT is something yeah, but along I mean, these lines. Think about from an evolutionary standpoint, that the fact that the DMT would release in like your final moments to kind of give you some comfort that you're connected to something bigger than yeah. now, whether or not it's true or not. I mean, it could be a hallucination. Yeah. I mean, and you could be, um, it, it could be some sort of self-preservation and you know, it could, it could be some sort of, you know, other other dimensionary sort of communication that we don't know about right i mean i think uh whatever the physicists have determined there to be about seven different dimensions and so we don't know what's going on in the other ones maybe that has something who knows like who knows what's going on um yep that dmt secretion um you know for the for the seals and for kind of anybody with trauma uh whether it's physical like emotional trauma or physical trauma psychological trauma i don't know however you could categorize all the different ways you could say that but uh it tend it tends to pull people away that universal oneness that kind of that god experience or death of the egos to where you can just sit back and go oh like that's that's what i do all the time like you watch yourself run a pattern that you can't recognize as a pattern because you're so bought into it you know it's like well this is what i like this is the right way to do that that's the right way to do that and it's not working for you and you don't realize it and then you like the dmt kind of gives you that uh capability um but then what we also know is that it it decreases amygdala tone by about 90 percent and you haven't had amygdala tone that low probably since you were like four or five years old. I mean, because the world's just way more stressful than that. And you, the more the more danger. So you, what is that? So the amygdala is the region of your brain that's that signals uh, threat or something you should pay attention to, right? So the autonomics, fancy word for automatic nervous system, you, you aren't control of, right? It's like there's sympathetic, parasympathetic. Sympathetic is the fight or flight. Parasympathetic is the rest and digest. To be really simplistic about it. Um, and the sympathetic uh, nervous system is basically how much are you going to pay attention to your environment, right? And that's what stress hormones do. Stress stress hormones get a bad rap because they have the word stress in them. But you need stress hormones to be alive, to be alert. And what cortisol does is keep you alert in proportion to your environment. So if you just slept in a cold, dark cave and had no stimulus, no light, no sound, <laughs> nothing, and you just slept in a dark room you would wake up eventually, right? You wouldn't just sleep indefinitely. So why would you sleep or why would you wake up? You wake up because your stress hormones get to a certain level. They're the lowest they'll ever be at any 24 hour period during deep sleep. So that first four hours of sleep is like the lowest 
cortisol you'll ever have. And then it gradually climbs up throughout the night. And at some point, it's enough to wake you up. And then that's just enough to have you awake. And so if there were no, if there's no other stimuli, nothing to worry about, you'd get out of bed and basically have about that level. And then would slowly climb up maybe 10, 20% throughout the day and peak about three or 4 PM. But if a freaking tiger comes into your cave or something that you're sleeping in, then those are going to go through the roof and that's fight or flight, right? And in our environment, we don't have tigers coming in the room, but we have that text message coming in, that email, that thread of the government, the bankruptcy, the divorce, like whatever people are stressed about, their kids being taught crap at school, uh, you know, anything that people are stressed about, that's just raising that up, raising that level. And that, and the amygdala is kind of like the central processing of all your senses. So you're like, we see and we hear and we smell and we taste and we feel and all that stuff, but all that has to be processed and meaning has to be made out of it. And then the amygdala is the one who says that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Like pay attention to that, right? That uneasy feeling you get the reason, like you follow movement, like all that stuff is beyond your control. Like that's not a conscious thought. It's a sympathetic, which is autonomic. Like there's no control over that. And so you're stressed. And when you're stressed, your prefrontal cortex doesn't work well because your prefrontal cortex shut down in fight or flight. Like in fight or flight, you're superhuman. You can do, right? You're faster, stronger, better reflexes, higher pain threshold, heart rates up, blood glucose is up. Like everything about you is better. You're better. You're better. You're the best version of yourself, but you're eating yourself as the fuel source. So you can't stay there. Uh, but the prefrontal cortex shuts down because you don't want to think when you're in that situation. You want to just immediately react. <clears throat> Well, when you live a stressful life, when you have a bunch of brain damage, which causes brain inflammation, which causes stress to the neuroregulatory systems, um, where you just have threatening things in your life all the time, well, that sympathetic tone is really high. And so if I can shut that amygdala down about 90%, how much better would you be at making decisions? How much better would you be at making changes in yourself because you get this experience you go do this heroic dose of you know whatever psilocybin ayahuasca ibogaine something See, like that they're all kind of a different strain or a different plant the same thing, so correct? so mdma as far as i know bears no resemblance to dmt hmm. ketamine is almost identical molecularly to dmt the primary active ingredient of psilocybin ayahuasca and ibogaine is dmt hmm. then there's 5-meo dmt which is from the the uh, resin from the frog kind of sweat there's another form of dmt this pure dmt that people mix it with like marijuana and then i'm pretty sure that the cactus derived things like peyote and masculine like those i'm pretty sure those things are dmt activated too mm-hmm. but i don't uh, it's not something I've, I've studied a lot we interrupt this episode with a shameless self-promotion Power Athlete delivers battle-tested performance programming for every kind of athlete. So do you want to go from average Joe to MVP? Then dominate with Field Strong. Get stacked and jacked with Jack Street. Hustle in life and still build muscle with Grindstone. Fear no opponent with Dragon Slayer. Be harder than coffin nails with Hammer. Max out minimal equipment with Lean Enable. Or unlock those newbie gains with Bedrock. Get over to powerathletehq.com forward slash training and choose your seven-day free trial right here, right now. Get lifting, get training, get in shape, all while listening to the rest of this show. I've been listening to The Immortality Key, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, the, you know, pretty amazing book. But the guy went back and was able to look at all these uh, kind of early kind of mystic 
pieces of where like religion came from. Right. And there was a, you know, within the sacraments, whether it be the wine, you know, uh, the host, whatever they were eating. I mean, it's pretty well established, or at least from the guy's research and dealing with the Vatican, that there was some peace for that. But what's interesting is he talks about uh, the exact same thing that, you know, we go through this idea of, you know, the amygdala and how it works and it juxtaposed to like what we know, like, okay, if you want me to believe in a God, show me exists. I can't, right. you have to have faith. That goes against everything we are as humans. Right. And the people that were the mystics early on were using something that allowed them to access where they weren't just providing faith, but they were seeing it, they were living it, they were being it. Right. And those people were true believers. Right. And they, you know, now we're an organized religion where they're like, oh, well, you don't have faith. And they belittle right. you and something's wrong with you that you don't believe in <clears throat> their imaginary friend. Right. And right. Uh, as he was going through the book or as I'm reading through the book, uh, it's exactly the problems I had at five, six, seven, eight years old sitting in church as they're talking about this. And how do we know? You know, right. I mean, uh, like everything about us, we're constantly looking for danger. We're looking for scams and this. And then all of a sudden in this one place with a bunch of strangers we don't really know. Right with a whole bunch of stuff that we're not familiar with. Now we're supposed to believe here when, you know, some guy walks up the street and says, give me your wallet. He's mugging you. Right. You know, what am I supposed to just give it to him? So pretty interesting that, um, you know, these religious experiences they believe are fueled by it. And then a lot of these, you know, connectivity where all of a sudden people become kinder, more connected individuals after doing this stuff. This episode of power athlete radio is powered by train heroic, the most immersive strength training app experience on the market. We've built an online training business by partnering with Train Heroic to deliver all of our world-class training programs like Jack Street, Hammer, Field Strong, and Grindstone. To learn which Power Athlete training program best suits your goals, head to powerathletehq.com training. And if you're a coach looking to build a business with the best training tech in the business, head to trainheroic.com slash powerathletehq. And now back to the show. Stuff. Yeah, I've heard a postulate that the burning bush was actually some sort of uh, psychedelic. Yeah. And so Moses is sitting there inhaling uh, you know, the smoke of this uh, psychedelic and having a God experience. Um, well, they and of course, it. I don't know if that's true or not. So, so the <laughs> no guy that does, wrote the but, uh, mortality key, he somehow got access to stuff within the Vatican that nobody has access to. Oh, yeah. All the, yeah, and, there's a lot of secret crap in there oh, yeah. whatever. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and, and lot, he, he made of, friends with these people over like yeah. 12 years and yeah. ended up getting like these chalices and this and like, you know, hearing stories and looking at things that other people don't look at. Yeah. It's it's pretty interesting. The, uh, the one that kind of struck me was there was a John Hopkins study where I think they were using psilocybin mm-hmm. um, and these people had no experience with it. And I think they were near death type of people. Right. Um, they brought them in, they gave them heroic doses and they recorded, you know, this is what I saw. This is what I felt. And they're like the recorded kind of uh, experience when he went and he looked at a lot of like the early mystics from what he found in the Vatican were like identical. Right. So, yeah. you know, I mean, there's a, an, an interesting connection for this stuff. And as I talked about it with Justin, it's just kind of been painted as a dirty hippie drugs, schedule one, right. awful stuff. Whereas yeah. now you have this deal where you're like, you know. And you could look at it the other way. It's be like, well, this is something that's put on put on earth by either whatever coincidence of nothing made the earth or by the intelligent design that allows you access to this other dimension to see something. Is that, is that real or not? Like I've well, been under the, and I've been obscure the, stuff. Like, and I, I've been under the influence of all of those. And that's not 
that's not the world I live in. I mean, that's a completely different world, you know? Well, and it, and well it's, like with the ayahuasca, isn't it like a mix of bark and something else? And you're like, how the fuck did these people figure this out? Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's strange because yeah, the, you have to, you have to do like some, you have to do the root and then this tree bark and the tree bark has, um, what is it? Uh, I want to say five amino. It's not right. Um, it has the enzyme that allows you to break break down uh, the DNA and process the DMT in it, um, which is uh, it's also the same enzyme. Uh, uh, yeah, monooxidase, monoamino oxidase inhibitor. That's what it is. Yeah, so that's why you can't. That's why it's dangerous to be on MAOIs uh, and and take psychedelics because you can. Have, What's your MAOIs? That's a mono mono. Mono amino oxidase inhibitor. What would be? Um, it's like it's an antidepressant. Oh, oh. They're kind of old school to antidepressants. Gotcha. Um, and it, it prevents you from breaking down certain neurotransmitters. Um, and then you can get, you know, you can go into like a serotonin syndrome with it, which, you know, can kill you. Um, but uh, you know, it's something that I thought about when you were talking about that earlier is, is interesting. Um, not only, not only does the DMT, uh, I mean, I guess the best word is um, reliably, but it, not a hundred percent of the time, obviously, but it, it, it reliably, reliably kind of um, at least contributes to sort of this mystical or godlike or other dimension um, uh, supernatural experience. But um, we've also isolated um a gene in the brain, a region of the brain that's associated with religiosity. Mm. And the more active that region of your brain is, the more religious you are. Um, and if something wasn't the CIA research where yeah, they were so going to try to when inoculate I in, when I was in, I guess I was in residency, I think it was 2005. Uh, I went to a presentation where they were like, kind of like the, vaccine kind of like the COVID vaccines we're trying to do this gene manipulation to shut this region off and fanatical uh muslims like you know the, the people who are out to kill all the infidels and they were having reasonable success with it um so and you're I, saying I is that genetically was, certain people are more yeah like apt to you, be. you have certain region like this one region of your brain and i don't i don't remember where it is um, but this one region of your brain is just like hyperactive relative, like you can, you can literally look at a functional MRI and kind of grade this person like, but he's super religious and it doesn't matter what the religion is. Wow. Like, like that guy's super religious. He's moderate religious. He's probably not very religious at all. Like you can just tell by the activity of that region of the brain given certain stimuli, which is actually you know, absolutely fascinating. Um, you know, because it kind of makes you wonder like, you know, the, like there's also this, this clotho gene in the brain that um, when that's expressed, you're more intelligent. And uh, uh, Askenashi Jews have the highest of that. And I, I, I want to say like, if it's not everybody, it's like 99.9% .9 of all people who have an IQ over 145 are Askenashi Jews. Yeah. Um, and I so think, uh, Brett Weinstein talks about that. Yeah. On his, so I mean, uh, it, it's podcast. like, it, it's like almost everybody. And they're all physicists. <laughs> right. It was like Einstein. Um, and they all, they all express this clotho gene and it's reasonable to suspect, well, they probably, you know, the, the Orthodox Jewish community probably passed down this, uh, 
religiosity gene as well, you know. I mean, it's part of their culture, so it's hard to say, you know, because they, they grow up with their, whatever, 613 rules to follow every day, you know. And so, um, who knows? But it, I mean, it, it's it's fascinating. I, nobody's got it figured out. Well, we probably never will, well, especially since everything's about to collapse and we're about to be cavemen again, I think. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Starting, we'll be starting over. Starting over from <laughs> starting we'll be, we'll be, we'll, uh, we'll be passing on the chisel and stone tablets instead of doing podcasts in ten years. Well, the only thing that makes me nervous is all of our stuff is on these uh, discs and you know backed up, and yeah. it's all basically uh, you know if you heat it hot enough, everything goes away. So yeah. you have yeah. all this recorded history; it's just going to disappear. Yeah, you know, at least the ancients were smart enough to encode it in a temple or in a, a, a yeah a huge pyramid, yeah, mosaic or. Yeah, all kind, all kinds of much more durable stuff. Um, I guess there'd still be a lot of written word around, but so much garbage out there. Out there, you know, it's like uh, if there has to be some sort of a screening process. You're not just reading garbage, but uh. well, um, I was going to ask you, you know, with, with the rise of uh, all these kind of internet doctor, kind of healer, kind of guys, we were talking about Gary Brecca. Is that how you say his name, Brecca? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, great, Brecca. Which, uh, I mean, I, I watched, uh, somebody sent me a clip the other day about if you get into cold water, it melts body fat off you. Yeah. And it's like, like a, it's so much hyperbole. Everything's yeah. so extreme in this. I mean, the other one we were talking about is, you know, methylation that somehow you know, right. most of the planet can't methylate anything. Right. Which, you know, I know from my blood work, I don't methylate B vitamins very well, so I have to supplement with them. But right. it's probably because I'm burning through a lot of vitamins and just... Right you know, a lot of raw materials. Right. And there's a huge difference between, you know, surviving as a species that we evolved to and then survive and, 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 and like and human performance and like optimizing that and saying, you know, uh, like all other animals we're, we're meant, we're meant to become less important and, and, and uh, less virile over the course because, you know, there's the young generation that's supposed to be reproducing and, and fighting and building and accomplishing and all that. And like the elders are kind of supposed to fade off, into, fade the off into the sunset. And like, we're like, well, we don't want to fade off into the sunset. <laughs> like I want to be competitive with those young bucks up until the day I die. I fucking do it every yeah. morning. And if you're going to do that, then like you're going to have to supplement, you know, like you're going to have to do things uh, that just put you back in that sort of physiologic norm, which, you know, is like, how I practice, you know, that's what, that's what I do with my clients and patients. It's like, Hey, I'm gonna make you metabolically hormone physical, like everything I can measure, you're going to look like you're 25, you know? Uh, but you're still going to look like you're 50 cause you're 50, you know, but yeah. like all your, all, all the studies Have I you do found you, a way to somehow get me to be 26 again. Can you give me an injection and turn me dude, to 26? If, if I could do that, I'd have all the monies, dude. We, we just have our own Island and who cares what happened in the world. We get about 200 of our friends. We'd move it to an Island. Just and everybody's just 26 forever. Let, everybody's 26 forever. Let everything decay. Let everything decay. Who cares? <laughs> so with, yeah. uh, you know, I've been dying or I've been fighting to get you back on the podcast. Cause what I was hoping to do is go through kind of what you do within your concierge uh, deal and you kind of get a brief overview, but it's very holistic in nature. Yeah. You're measuring not only the hormones, but uh, you know, micronutrients and just basically trying to fine tune everything from, you know, sleep to lifting weights to training. I mean, it's a really holistic approach. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the whole approach basically is, um, and it, it, it's not how I would sell it to a potential client, but it, it really, I mean, it really is a lifestyle alteration right it's like about i'd say a good 
at least 80% of your health is determined by your lifestyle, right? So I can give you, I can give you a ton of drugs and supplements and pharma and SARMs and SERMs and peptides and whatever. I could throw the kitchen sink at you, but if you're sleeping three or four hours a night and living off of pizza and not working out or whatever, it's like, all right, you're never, like, you're never going to be, is there, be optimal. is there a hierarchy? Like, like, um, you know, I mean, I know you are the sleep doc, but is it, uh, you know, if you were to talk about like an even playing field is sleep and exercise and food quality. Well, on sleep the same controls world? everything else. Think about it, right? It's like, like when I started lecturing on this, it, my first slide was the four pillars of health, sleep, nutrition, exercise, and stress mitigation. And then after about 10 years, I convinced myself, no, it's like it's ex, it's nutrition, exercise, and stress mitigation, but they sit on the platform of sleep. And I, the reason I say that is because your fuel partitioning is ch is changed by how you sleep, right? So what the the food you eat, how how useful is that nutrition? It's determined by how well you sleep. You won't digest everything the same way. Your appetite won't be the same. Your ability to burn fat won't be the same. Your ability to store nutrients won't be the same. Like everything is changed because you didn't sleep well. If you you shouldn't be exercising if you're sleep deprived because when do you get stronger, right? You go to your gym, you work. If you if you do anything worth doing, you're walking out of your gym weaker than you went into it, right? Sure. When are you going to get stronger? You get stronger while you sleep. So if you're not sleeping enough, well, you're not getting stronger. Why are you going to go work out, right? It's like you haven't recovered from yesterday. You're going to beat yourself up against today and not sleep well, right? And and the same thing with stress mitigation. I mean, the whole idea of stress mitigation is like I'm going to learn some techniques. I'm going to learn some mindfulness, some breath work, learn how to meditate, whatever. I'm going to do some things to lower my cortisol levels during the day. Well, it takes eight hours to recover from being awake for 16 hours. That's just the way it is. You, you don't get to you don't get to put butter in your coffee and change that or get an ice bath and change. Like that's the way it is. Eight hours for 16 hours. That's what it takes. If you sleep six hours instead of eight hours, you still have to do everything tomorrow. You still have to do the exact same things tomorrow that you had to do if you would have slept eight hours, but you're not prepared. So where do you get the resources? You release stress hormones. We already talked about when you're in fight or flight, you're superhuman, right? If you could think about, if you had any self-awareness about how you felt, you'd be like, man, I feel, <laughs> I feel amazing. I feel strong and powerful and virile, right? Mm -hmm. So if I wake up and I'm, de I'm deficient, like the whole reason I'm going to sleep tonight is to repair everything I've done to my body. Sure. And then to prepare for tomorrow using today as the template of what I need to be better at tomorrow. And if I could repair and prepare 100%, I would wake up tomorrow unchanged or slightly better, I would never age. I would be exactly the same every day if I could wake up. I can't. When I'm younger, I can. When I'm younger, I can wake up bigger, better, faster, stronger, and smarter. About 25 to 35 is kind of a plateau. After that, I'm waking up 99 point something percent, but not 100% every day, and that's my aging. Well, if I'm going to, if I choose to sleep two hours less, I'm choosing to age 25% faster, but I'm also choosing to go into tomorrow with 25% fewer resources. And so my body's going to compensate by secreting stress hormones, because like I said, stress hormones keep you alert in proportion to your environment. If your body's really ready for the day, you don't need a lot of stress hormones. If you're deficient in, in nutrients, deficient in substrates that have been stored, biochemical reactions, whatever, your body's not quite ready for it. Well, it compensates by increasing the stress hormones. That impairs my prefrontal cortex. It affects my ability to communicate. It affects my perception of the world. It affects my choices, my problem-solving skills, all this other stuff, my appetite, my motivation, my willpower. Like All of that's affected now. I've chosen to make myself deficient. Um, so 
if you're doing stress mitigating activities during that day, you're just trying to get that back down to like where you would have been if you it's slept. just slept eight hours. Yeah. And now if you sleep eight hours and you do that, well, now you can be less catabolic during the day. Essentially, I mean, this is an oversimplification yeah. because two things are always going on at the same time, but essentially when you're awake, it's catabolic. And when you're asleep, sleep, it's so, metabolic yeah. or anabolic. Uh, uh, anabolic. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I, I know for me with my sleep, I get probably around seven hours. Yeah. But I'm in bed for like almost eight. Right. And I think there's 30, and 40 that, that's, minutes. That's what it is. It's like eight hours in bed is what I tell people. Yeah. Yeah. If you sleep all eight hours, great. Um, but, I can do it on occasion, yeah. but it's, it's usually like 653, 701, it's right yeah. around seven hours. And what's, what's wild is, and uh, um, I started really tracking this, like let's say I go to bed at like 930. From like 930 to midnight is when I get all my deep sleep. And if I go to bed at like midnight, hmm. I only get a little bit of deep sleep and yeah. then I get right into it. So I feel like for me that like 930 to about 12, 1230 is like where I get all my deep sleep. Yeah. And that's where I'll get everything. Yeah, and, and that's the way it it breaks down on a histogram, which is like when we combine all the data from the sleep study, right? So you're looking at your brain waves and your respiratory rate and how much you're moving, your eyelids moving and uh, O2 saturation, your blood, your brain waves, all that stuff. And we combine them onto like this histogram, which is just a graph of what stage of sleep you're in. The first sleep cycle, which is 90 to 120 minutes is almost a, I mean, it's like 90% deep sleep. Yeah. And then the next one's about 70. And then it, and then progressively through the night, it's more and more REM, less and less deep. And deep is that anabolic period. REM is primarily working on your brain and emotions mm -hmm. and learning and pruning useless information, emotional categorization of things, rehearsing everything you've learned, attaching that to uh, old information so that you can work with that more fluidly. Um, so when you when you go to bed when you should, you know, two to three hours after the sun goes down kind of on in general is how we're wired. Um, you go to bed consistently, say around 10 o'clock. If you got up at four, you're, you're losing REM. If you go to bed at midnight and get up at yeah. six, you're, you're most likely going to get rid of deep. Like, and that's if you're consistently and consistently on schedule and then you go off the schedule. Yeah. If you consistently go to bed at midnight, it ends up working. Then it could, it could line up better and you, you, and who knows what you're doing there. But chaotic, uh, chaotic sleep is the worst. Sleep. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, consistency. The other one is alcohol for me. Yeah. Um, if I have a drink, um, all of a sudden, my deep sleep is fucked. Yeah. REM is fine. For some reason, uh, alcohol doesn't affect my REM. But like all of a sudden, you know, if I'm pretty consistent about an hour 30, hour 45 of deep and about an hour 30, hour 45 mm -hmm. of REM, I get about three hours total. Um, but it's wild. If I have like a drink or even multiple drinks, all of a sudden you can just be, it'll be like 43 minutes, 27 minutes. It just yeah. goes off the scale. Heart rate goes up. Yep. Stress hormones go up. Uh, breathing increases. Right. So, um, we know this, uh, you know, research is borne out that alcohol, uh, if you use alcohol as a sleep aid, um, it will diminish REM sleep by up to 80%. Oh wow. And then diminishes, or, I'm sorry, deep sleep yeah. by about 80% and REM sleep up to 20%. Sleep drugs do exactly the opposite. So when you see somebody who's taking Ambien with with alcohol, which I sounds saw, like a party. I saw all the time in the SEAL teams, right? What's the weirdest thing you saw happen with uh, alcohol and Ambien? I have a good story about it, but. Uh, well, I, I had probably one of the most interesting stories is uh, when I coached Cole's football, um, one of the, one of the players' moms uh, that came to practice quite a bit was a nurse, and 
uh, she knew that I did sleep stuff. And so she came and talked to me and she said that, uh, she called the cops in her house. So, so she was divorced and her, her kids were at the dad's house. And so she's like, oh, I'm going to, you know, sleep in. And so she takes her Ambien and then she wakes up the next day and she goes downstairs and her house has been ransacked. Right. It's like, they're just like, there's, food wrappers all over the place, the kitchen's a mess, like furniture's overturned. And she's like, what the hell? So she runs back upstairs and calls the cops and the cops come and search her house, whatever. And it was her, like she had taken Ambien and then she went down there and was like eating ramen and cupcakes and like, you know, but kind of out of it. So she's like knocking stuff over and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I've, I've had conversations with people while they were on Ambien mm-hmm. and then talk to them the next day about that conversation and they have zero recollection of it. It's like an hour and a half long conversation. I'm sitting there going, you don't remember anything, not a thing, you know, not a word of what I'm talking about. Sounds familiar. Nope. I'm like, wow, that's, you know, that's a mess. And, and the military thought, you know, that it was a completely benign drug because that's what the pharmaceutical industry told them because because the pharmaceutical industry never lies. No, they're, they're upstanding moral pillars, uh, you know, and, uh, yeah, the benzos killed people because yeah. it's because suppressed breathing. When you overdosed on those, the Ambien won't kill you, but it's a dissociative. So it's like going under anesthesia. It's like, were you dead? Were you like, were you still alive under anesthesia? If, if you've ever seen anybody do conscious sedation, they'll talk to you the whole time. They're yeah. in a conscious sedation and they have zero recollection of that whatsoever too. Right. And so it's kind of that same thing. It's a dissociative drug. Um, and so once they got sued and all the data came out, um, on average, it only made you fall asleep 13 minutes faster. You slept for 37 minutes longer, but you diminished REM sleep by 80% and deep sleep by 20%. And if you, I mean, you know, SEALs, you know, they came home and had three or four beers or sure. a couple of cocktails and took their ambience. So sure. now they had no deep sleep and no REM sleep because mm-hmm. it was 80, 20 and 20, 80. And, I would send them into a sleep study, 99.999% stage two sleep. There'd be no REM, no deep sleep. And when, and when you know a lot about sleep, I don't even know how they survived that. Yeah, I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, how are, you, how are you still surviving? Well, I mean, they've um, been doing it for years. You hit me with a pretty good one, which I had never thought about, which is if you don't sleep, you don't produce hormones. Right. So I know we were uh, discussing blood work of a friend uh, who doesn't sleep and his body was producing zero hormones. Right. And yet he was still walking around, going to work and living a normal life. Yeah. I mean, tired and feeling like shit, but like zero hormones. You're like, dude, I know 80 year old men that produce more hormone than this. I had a, a, a new SEAL client who's, who's a retired SEAL, a former SEAL. I want to say he's about 32 years old. Uh, he, had a, he had a total testosterone of 126, a free testosterone of three, which I didn't know they could measure that low. Um, vitamin D of six or mm. six or seven or something like, like I mean, the, he just had no hormones. His thyroid was still functioning normal, which is weird as hell. I've never seen that before. I'm like, all right, whatever. Um, he's like, I feel a little tired. Yeah. And he's like, man, I, I, my motivation just sucks. I just really can't like, I'm going to the gym, but I really can't get myself to get after it anymore. I'm like, <laughs> I'm amazed you're going to the gym. To be I'm honest. amazed you're breathing. I'm like it's it's really surprising, and, and like even his AM cortisol was almost unmeasurable. I mean, he went got his labs at eight o'clock in the morning and had an AM cortisol like four or five or something. And I'm just like, but with the seals too, you're dealing with a lot of discipline. 
well, you're, you're dealing with a lot of brain damage, right? Mm. And you can get pan hypopituitarism. So like your, your pituitary itself can just be secreting minuscule amounts of everything. And then that's what you get this whole picture of. And then there's this other problem that's been presenting itself quite, quite recently. Uh, well, it's been presenting itself for the whole time I've been doing this, but, um, it seems to be more common recently. All I can figure is that they don't have androgen receptors mm. and I don't know what to do about that. Like I've, I've, you I've mean been the studying androgen receptors are bound or are they just non existent? Well, I'm so, you know, like, 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 a, just hypothetically, like, like if somebody had no androgen receptors and you were to give them androgens like testosterone, it, it does nothing. Just, it does them. nothing. Right. So, so like this one guy gave, um, he was older, um, uh, older. I mean, like he was, he was in his forties. Um, and we were, we were going to stay on a pretty conservative track, but I was just going to start him off with like two, two months worth of hormone replacement and then just taper him off and like keep him on a trajectory to be able to produce his own. Um, and you know me, I don't give a ton of testosterone. It's like, I, I'm, I'm giving like maybe 120 milligrams a week. Um, and it's like kind of 80 to 80 to 120, depending on how it falls on that week. Um, and he came back with a total testosterone of like 3,500 and the free testosterone of like, you know, out of a scale of 26, he was like 250 or something like that. I was like, how much testosterone are you taking? He's like, what you told me to take? And I was, and I was like, okay. <laughs> um, Wait, so he was a uh, uh, so 3,500? Yeah, he didn't, he didn't metabolize testosterone at all. He's like, I don't feel any different. I don't feel any better. I'm not sleeping any So better. the numbers were through the roof. So like 100% of the testosterone he's putting in his body was staying in his bloodstream and not being metabolized. Wow. And and I've seen that to various degrees. Like he was by far the most severe I've ever what seen. What was his um, estradiol? I don't remember, but it, so wasn't, like it wasn't super high. So like none of it was converting to estrogen? No, he was staying at testosterone. He, he was staying with a really high testosterone, really high free and and you know I I tested this after a month so sex hormone binding globin had had hadn't really had enough time to climb up a whole lot I can't remember if his estradiol was high it probably was I mean with thirty five twenty five or thirty five hundred whatever his total was um, and but uh, I was but you know what showed up in his labs initially was LH not measurable FSH not measurable TSH not, not measurable. measurable like. And so I was like, well, I don't know if this is just brain, you know, neuroinflammation, everything's being squeezed down and we can move this or not. And so of course, when I was treating him, I was, I was stimulating his luteinizing hormone and, and thyroid and all that stuff. And I was, I was trying to ramp him up and nothing changed. Like none of his pro hormones, none of his precursors increased either. Um, so, uh, he, you know, he has pan hypopituitarism and he has a history of some really significant TBIs. Um, one was a vehicle wreck, which is really common for damaging the pituitary stalk, and then the pituitary just kind of quits working. So, is that it, like for like frontal hit? It could be front or back, just you know, because that the the you know the the pituitary stalk just comes through this little hole, and then the, it's like sitting on that saddle, and it can move. And so, if you with enough force, you can push it. Uh, happens with women in pregnancy, they get inflammation and they bear down so hard and, and you just compress that stalk enough. You can, it has like little, you know, fiber optics, like little, little channels through there, whatever that can be crushed and, and can never work again. And so I'd seen that plenty of times, but I'd never seen anybody 
that when I gave them the hormones, they didn't respond to them. Mm. Right. So like receptors. Yeah. So I'm, all I can think of is that, well, he's not metabolizing it. He can't possibly have the receptors for it. Right. So um, would that be a genetic thing? I don't know. I haven't been able to figure it out yet. So if anybody's listening and have any ideas, hopefully they'll let you know. But uh, I've I've been I've been digging for a long time because, like I said, every time I've seen panhypopituitarism, they re they still respond to the hormones. Mm -hmm. uh, they oftentimes they don't respond as well as you would expect, and that's what I said. I've been seeing that forever. But this guy just zero response, and so he just quit taking everything. He's like, I don't feel any better. I mean, and like, and I was like. I can't argue with you. I mean, I th I think you'll probably be, be be better having the hormones than you, but mm -hmm. like it, you know, it's up to you. Like I'm I'm just I'm just recommending things. You know, it's like uh, I, I I don't dictate what people do. So I gave him my advice, and he's not doing it at all anymore. Um, is um you know I mean obviously being an ex NFL player, I mean head trauma is something that's near and dear to my heart. So yeah. I probably have seventy thousand concussions mm -hmm. based upon the way they define concussions today. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, similar when I went to mid south with the guys from uh, NSW, and I remember we were walking out to the range, and they were basically uh, in the kill house blowing doors and setting charges. We walked by right as they detonated a charge. Yeah, and I want to think. Uh, I mean, it was the percussion and the explosion yeah. and like the feeling. I like I jumped like ten yeah. feet. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, and they were like, yeah, that's a quarter blast. Yeah, they're like, when we put a full charge in there, like it's fucking ring your ears for a month and those guys were, were blowing those through so what was uh people or actually when we got out to the range the guys asked me is the feeling that you felt of that explosion similar to the hits that you took in the nfl and i was like it's very different yeah um that was like a like ours were you know violent contact but i mean the percussion of that like I felt it in my head. Like I felt that through my entire body. Like it fucking right. like the, the shock wave went through my body. Like, you know, you see uh, the fantastic four and they got hit with the thing and it like went through and they sucked their souls out. That's how I felt. Yeah. Whereas uh, I never felt that in the NFL. Like I, I mean, I felt the collisions and the, the impacts and all the deals that we went through, but uh, it was a very different feeling and the amount of TBIs. And I wonder if like the violent nature of those explosions, very different than two helmets colliding. Yeah, well, the un unfortunately, the sequelae of those TBIs have been very common in both of our communities or consistent across both of our communities is suicide. Um, and just like NFL players, guys, SEALs knew that there was something wrong with their brains. And so they started shooting themselves through the heart. With uh, notes, hey, have them look yeah, at my brain. look at my brain. Um, Larkin was the first one. His father, I, his father was a SEAL with me and, and he... I can't remember. I want to say 2012-ish or something. Maybe he suicided. Uh, maybe maybe About a little later. About the same later. time as a junior sale. Um, and so he shot himself through the chest, wanted his head, uh, his brain uh, autopsied. Yeah, he was an 18 Delta you know, trauma corpsman, so he <clears throat> he understood the medical component of it, and he understood there's something off with him. And um, and you know the the Western care doesn't work. I mean, there's no more plain way to say it, it just simply doesn't work. You, you mean there's no, there's no pharmaceuticals. There's no pharmaceuticals that work. I mean, none, zero. They don't work, period. I, I've, I've watched this for 20 years now. It doesn't work. I mean, it does not work. Uh, there's no help in the psychiatric field. Um, there's a little bit of help in psychology with, with a good CBT practitioner, like somebody who can change the way you 
frame things, maybe you can get some help there. The psychedelics. Game changers. 100 magnitudes more powerful well, than anything else uh, we have. I still go with hyperbarics. Hyperbarics is great too, but hyperbarics is a long window. Yeah. Right. So when somebody's about to suck start their pistol, you put them, yeah. you send them to Ibogaine, right? Um, Why is the Ibogaine, um, I mean, uh, you know, I know the general idea of ayahuasca being the mother and Ibogaine being the father, and mm. they kind of have these terms for it. But the Ibogaine comes from a plant in Mexico, correct? No, Ibogaine's, uh, Ibogaine's uh, Africa, Africa. African. Yeah. Whereas the ayahuasca is from the rainforest and then the Amazon is Peru kind of stuff. Yeah. The mescaline would be like the same San Pedro cactus. Yeah. So yeah. these are all this and similar psilocybin, substance. I think it's kind of ubiquitous. Universal. Yeah. But these are similar kind of. Yeah. Like the DM, the DMT. Is the effect. Seems to be the effect. Um, yeah. The, the reason seals go for the Ibogaine is because it's the hardest one. Right. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, it's the one we initiated with. Right. So, you know, the, um, I took the first seal down to get treated. Yeah. And he was just a dear friend of mine and he'd been through Western care for eight or nine years and nothing was helping. And he was matter of factly suicidal with no, well, no emotions about it. And all they start doing is just giving you, I mean, uh, this is the same thing Kyle Turley went through, you know, they just yeah. kept giving him more and more meds. And every time he would come back, there'd be another med, another med. Right. So, you know, you're on 14 of them, you're feeling suicidal. And the guy's like, we just need to fine tune the meds. Yeah. We're giving you this. And they just right. are like trying to like find the right recipe. Yeah. These make you piss yourself. These make you shit yourself. And we give you, so oh, it's like, you know, the doctor would describe yeah. it to him as an EQ, like trying to tune for music. Yeah. You just got to figure out what the right knobs are to turn. Right. Yeah. It doesn't work. Like, Shit. And so, you know, you know, what we were, uh, what we were getting into. So the, the blast injuries versus the contact. So the, the CTEs that, that, that that term that they deemed for the NFL is basically it's like okay you hit your helmet here your brain hits there your head, brain goes back and hits that so you're kind of here there here there or maybe here and there and so you kind of have like this distinct pattern of like chronically inflamed or dead neurological tissue yeah and then that towel forms yeah and, and then your body like the cobwebs um, you know that those those beta amyloid and tau proteins those are kind of like protection against inflammation. So atherosclerosis, right? Atherosclerosis is an inflammatory disease. I don't think it has anything to do with cholesterol personally. It's an inflammatory disease. And when your body gets tired of fighting and inflammation, it just walls it off. It puts calcium over it and just like put a brick wall there. We're tired of fighting that. And like and that takes care of it. Well, tau proteins, beta amyloid proteins are kind of the same thing in the brain. It's like chronically inflamed, just wall it off. Like let's keep, let's quit messing with this. Um, and so like I said, in NFL pugilist, whatever you can see these patterns, um, where what they did with the with the seals, and this was done um, after Larkin's autopsy because they're trying to figure out what what the hell this pattern. Could. So they made a skull that was tra completely transparent, with about the same density as as bone. The plastic. like the um, like those uh, th those bodies that have like the the yeah. killing foam where they show like the yeah. yeah yeah yeah. And then they and then they made the brain with every layer. So they made a dura layer. They made blood vessels. They made gray matter. They made white matter. They had the vesicles in there. They had fluid in there. And then with high speed photography or low speed, whichever I can't, I guess, but the one you can slow down super slow. It's high speed. And they yeah. Turn it down. So they do, they do the blast and then they watch the blast wave go through the brain. 
right? And so you can see it and it's really cool. Uh, and there's not a whole lot of room for movement, but you can see it move. Just like when you've seen a video of a blast. Dude, I felt this blast. Yeah, it was see, weird. It was like a wave of energy going You see me. dust fly and you see trash fly and you see trees wave and you see cars sway, but everything's moving at a different rate. Well, the same thing happens with this. So the different densities of your brain move at a different rate. So the durosac moves at a different rate than the blood vessels underneath it. Those blood vessels move different rate than the gray matter they're communicating with. That moves at a different matter than the white matter underneath that. That moves at a different matter than the vesicles beneath that. And so every time they move at a different rate, they shear. And so it tears it apart, little micros. And that blast injury that you're talking about is significant. But um, in JAMA 2008, 2009, August of 2008 or nine, I can't remember which, um, JAMA published an article, uh, several thousand people, they'd studied, there's this imaging called DTI, um, and they can see a single neuronal track break. And it's like the most minor TBI you could possibly get. And there's no way you could perceive that, but it's like, okay, we'll call that a minor TBI. And that was at 1.09 Gs. They got that from the acceleration changes on a roller coaster. And so if you extrapolate that out to blast force, if we were inside of this room right now, because your walls are so dense and we're shooting M4s, every bullet's 35 Gs. Not to mention the blast that we opened the door with, the Carl Gustav, 200 Gs for the guy shooting it, 300 Gs for the guy spotting it, uh, 50 cal in the back of a... Humvee 65 G's every every round. Our fast boats transit at 60 G's, peak over 100 G's. That's actual force, not blast. Yeah, because right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to your point, just like the NFL, thousands and thousands and thousands of brain injuries, and we keep coming up with this more and more amazing protective equipment but we're wrapping it around a marshmallow you know yeah. <laughs> the thing inside is still getting damaged it's I just it's surviving it i'm still I'm, I'm still shocked that evolutionary our brains are this delicate to these you know i mean i know like you know yeah. we, we didn't evolve with these things but you had to think that you know falling trauma you know trauma <laughs> fighting punching i, I mean, think when you fell off of cliffs you died you know yeah but i mean <laughs> think about the amount of uh I'm, I'm trying to think like okay so two million years ago some other dude sucked a guy in the face and we've been punching each other in the face for the last two million years and our skulls and our brains haven't evolved with everything else well no i mean uh, yeah there's there's a there's a physiologic max right i mean um you could make the same argument for our bones shouldn't break if we do things that we commonly do. Like, um, yeah, you keep in mind, I mean, for uh, most, the vast majority of evolution, you died because of trauma or because you fell prey to another tribe, another clan, or an animal. Yeah, something you know, some ate you or just killed you, tore you up, poisoned you, you got bit by a snake, whatever. So, um, you know, if you think about, you look at, you look at, you look at UFC fighters. I mean, they're in their twenties. They get punched in the face 10,000 times a day. <laughs> they don't care. Like they're fine. Like they run around like, I don't know. I've seen Sean Strickland talk recently. No, and, uh, he's all as, fucked up. As they get older, yeah. it catches up with yeah. them. But yeah. when they're young, it's like, it's yeah. not that, eh, it's not that big of a deal. But just like, as we get older, the older, and you know, and that's kind of the, the focus of my practice. It's like, if you can handle it at 25, why? Why can't you handle it at 25? You can't handle it at 55. Things, Why? Things have changed, right? It's like yeah, hormone, but, hormones have changed. Yeah, like but inflammation like, has changed. The amount of damage, the tau protein, the beta amyloid, like all that's built up. Because to me, all aging is, is that fewer resources. Yeah. 
I'm less capable of handling trauma. I'm less capable of handling infection and whatever. So I'm more likely to die from any cause. And I'm more likely to get any disease because I don't repair as fast. I'm not as metabolically active. I, I'm not as, I don't have as much muscle mass. I'm not like, whatever. My hormones aren't the same. My blood flow is not the same. My, like all of the billions of neurochemicals in my body have, have shifted. And so what I try to do in my practice, like, well, everything I can measure and I can affect, let's keep that about a 25 year old level for you. And as we can measure more things and affect more things, I just keep adding things in my toolbox, right? Yeah. And and the fun thing, yeah, the fascinating thing about my job is that there's new stuff every day. Like every single day, there's like some new no, test. No, it's, it's and crazy. some new supplement. And I don't some see new... you for like two weeks and you're like, uh, everything's changed. I got yeah. all this new stuff. The whole stuff, everything in the world's dead. Everything, everything we knew two weeks ago is over. Yeah, it's gone. And, and it's and it's it's really fascinating. Um, and I And I think probably like i'm not smart enough and it's not gonna be around like i'm not gonna be around long enough to like really figure it out but as long as we don't kill ourselves as a species in like the next 50 years i mean i, I maybe 20 25 years i think i think we have a real shot at basically like, cracking this code on the I, I don't i don't know about you know this idea of super longevity maybe well, maybe not but i don't I, know if but i want to live to be 150 no. years old so without the, without the neuroplasticity, it would suck, right? Yeah. So the neuroplasticity is key, and that's what the psychedelics are good at. That's what H bots good at. There's some yeah. there's some peptides well, that are good at that. Lifting weights, learning new things, juggling, right. you know, just not being a fucking curmudgeon. And and the older we get, the harder it is to change our brains because neuroplasticity, right? And that's what makes me a grumpy old man, right? I'm not grumpy because I'm 53. I'm grumpy because my brain's set. And it's like this is the way you do things. Do you feel like the psilocybin and like the psychedelics are, are those? Yeah, those things help a lot. For sure. Even microdosing helps with that. You know, I, I don't know how much that affects durable changes, but I can tell you, actually, the harshest psychedelic I did was ayahuasca. And that was horrible. Like, tell me about it. It was horrible. Tell me about it. Uh, because everybody else I've talked to said, tells me it was life-changing. It was the most amazing experience. They connected with, uh, you know, they sat with Mother Ayahuasca and they're a part of this universe. And I've listened right. to all this stuff. You're the only person I know that's like, it was fucking terrible. It was terrible. Um, the one that was supposed to be terrible, Ibogaine, was no big deal for me at all. And psilocybin was amazing. Why was, uh, what was wrong? You think it was the environment of the Ayahuasca? I think so. Um, so one thing I was naive to every drug in the world. I'd, I'd never, like, I think I'd smoked pot once in high school, like freshman in high school, I smoked pot once. Like that was it. That was my drug experience. I didn't really know what I was getting into. Uh, I went in there with the kind of a weird social crowd here in Austin that, you know, very well. Um, not, they aren't really my people. Um, so <laughs> when you invited me into it, I was like, doc, these aren't our people. You're like, you're like, where are you going? Why are you leaving? I'm like, I'm trying to get the fuck out of here. Get in the car. We're yeah. getting the fuck out of here. Yeah. I'm just like, these aren't, these aren't my people. <laughs> these aren't and, the drones we're looking for. <laughs> these are not, these are not the drones I'm looking for. Um, so I think that was a factor. Um, because like when you're sitting there with a bunch of shamanistic woo woo people and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not shitting on people's belief systems, but that's just not me. Like I, I don't, I don't think that way. You yeah. know, it's like I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm very logical and empirical. Empirical. It's like I want to know why. I want to like. And, and you're not full of shit. Like, and, like that's what's. Um, like I think I was making a joke the other day about like you know all these people on the internet that are you know the the Gary Breckas and all these uh, yeah. You know, oh, sh like it's not you. 
Like, yeah. I, I, like you're like me. Like you couldn't get up there and bullshit people. I could make a lot of money if I could bullshit like that. But uh, I just what Rob like, Wolf I, tells I, us. He's I, like, I, I wish we were better liars. I just can't do it, man. I'm just like, that's not true. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yes. So when I did the when I did the ayahuasca, I was with a bunch of people that saw the world completely differently than I did. I didn't feel like this was a safe evolution, right? Because I'm about to lose my mind, right? And all I like, and I still have, you know, the retro idea of people kill themselves on this, run through plate glass windows, like whatever. So, and I'm in there going, you know, a bunch of little skinny hippies. Like, what if I do flip out? What what are they going to do about it? Like, is (laughs) like, you know, if I start throwing people through the walls, what are they going to do? Like, I I don't know. Um, And then I, and I just assumed that there would be experienced sober people in the room. Oh yeah, like uh, like shamans or, or guides, right? And or the something. shamans are getting high too. Like the shamans are doing the drug and all their little helpers. Are, I'm like, everybody's stoned in here. Like this ain't cool. Like what? And and they give you these warnings and they're they're BS. But I didn't know they were BS at the time. It's like, oh, you know, you got to have have your head at this end and your feet at this end because the the mantle's over here and the energy flows that way. And if you roll on your side and, and I'm and so like people are rolling on their side and I'm like, hey, like, why, why aren't y'all doing anything? And they're like, but don't interact with anybody else and don't talk to other people. And, and so I'm a, I'm not a great rule follower, but when I, <laughs> when I'm in, when I'm in an environment where I don't know what I'm doing and like, I've been trained. There's to a lot to, of SOPs. Right. It's like yeah. skydiving. Skydiving was scary. I did exactly what I was taught to do until I became really comfortable with it. And then I'm like, yeah, I'm not really going to do it. I'm like, that part's not important. But until I really know what I'm doing, like, I'm going to follow the, I'm going to follow yeah. the rules. Cause that's, that's right. That's how you know what you're doing. And, uh, first of all, like, so that was, that was a bust. But the first thing was I was super sensitive to it. And I don't mm. know if it's because I'd never taken drugs before, but like I was tripping out. So they give you like a thimble fill. Y- you go up to what they call the mantles, like, bunch of voodoo stuff chicken bones and crosses and crystals and stuff and you go up and they pour you your cup and you, you how's it taste terrible uh dirt and oil kind of taste uh and then and then the yeah we have a yoga mat it's just you're laying on and it's like maybe from here to that wall away from me so i i take my drink and i go there and they say hey you know you're gonna you're going to lay down there and you'll slowly start feeling this come on. You should be pretty well into this about 45 minutes to an hour at about 45 minutes to an hour. We'll ask anybody if they want seconds. And if you do, if you really don't feel anything, you should come up and have seconds because you're just probably not that sensitive to it. By the time I got back to my mat and closed my eyes, I was tripping out. Like I had like the second I closed my eyes, I was like, Whoa, I saw the, the black light poster stuff that mm-hmm. from high school, like the hippies had, mm-hmm. you know, those little yeah. geometric shapes. I'm like, Oh, that's where that comes from. Like, this is yeah. exactly what those posters look like. Um, so I lay down and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm tripping out already. How is this possible? Like, I mean, it's been less than a minute before I'm laying down there. And then about t- within two minutes, I was completely paralyzed. I was completely lost my body. I like my body had disappeared. And I was just, all I could think was too much. <laughs> too much, too much, too much. Like, oh my God, too much. And then I start seeing these patterns of like nonsensical stuff, like picture of a hammer, a washing machine, my mother, a commercial. Like it just, but it's like 300 times per second. It was like watching a television screen, just flipping that fast. And I was just going, what the hell am I going to do with this? Like, what am, what am I learning? What is this? I have no, and my brain was racing so fast. 
and anyway, and then now we go into these completely dissociative, just weird worlds without words. You can't really describe uh, just 100% emotion, feeling and weird. And you come back into that and you're just like just oscillating up and down and up and down. And I was like, Jesus Christ. And you lose all sense of time, right? And I'm just like going, man, this is exhausting. Like, I hope this is almost over. And it's four minutes in. And then I hear him go, anybody want seconds? And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> And that was the whole night for me. I mean, that whole night was just like, I can think of, you remember uh, when they used to do cartoons on cards and they'd flip so yeah, fast yeah, that it looked yeah. like it was, like that was, that was the experience to me, but it wasn't something consistent. It was just like a different picture each time. And it just went super fast. And you, and you kind of go, and there's like waves where you kind of become more grounded and more back in reality. And you can think, and you can like say, oh, I'm going to open my eyes and look around or something or like, you know, do some experience. Uh, like that's what I would do at least like, you know, um, can I control this? Or like, what if I do this? What if I pull my leg hairs? What if I, you know, like, I, and I'm like, I just trying to play around with it. Uh, and it just, it's just unrelenting. Like when you, when you're going out, like you're going out, there's nothing you're going to do. Like it's, when you're going to dissociate, like you're just going to dissociate. And, and I tried to think of things cause I'm going into just going, well, maybe I have some stuff to deal with that I don't know about. Right. Cause I, I don't really feel like I have anything to do with like, I'm, I'm a pretty happy dude. Like I don't, I don't really think I'm subject to depression or pessimistic nihilistic thoughts or whatever. So I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. Like, let's see. And I know there's some really bad crap that happened in my life and some things I probably haven't processed. And I couldn't think of them. Like I try, I'd be like, you know, show me this. Like, I want to think about this. I want to see if there's anything there. And I couldn't get there. I had no control. Uh, and that's the whole idea. You're supposed to let go, like let go, surrender, surrender, surrender. And I was like, I'm surrendered. I'm surrendered. I'm surrendered. Like, I'm not like, what am I? I'm not fighting. Like, let's go. Like, show me something. Um, it was just super frustrating, but it was like so much information and so fast. And then I went back to my room and I just talked in my phone. I just did a voice memo and I just talked for like 15 minutes, everything I could possibly think to say. And the next night was about the same thing. By the Oh, so you did it two nights in a row? Three nights in a row. Three. Why? And the third night comes around. And I'm over it, man. Like I have zero interest in doing this again. I'm like, all right, whatever. But you know, kind of peer pressure. Like I'd signed up for the weekend. Why do they do it three nights in a row? I don't know. It's just kind of one of those shaman ritualistic things. So there's all sorts of shamanistic things to these medications or whatever you want to call them, sacraments, medications, whatever, drugs. Um, there's a lot of ritualization around it. I was really investigating that because I, was, I wanted to see it would be an alternative for Ibogaine? the Ibogaine for the seals. Because yeah. Ibogaine can be dangerous, especially if you're on a lot of medications, if you're drinking a lot or whatever. And obviously we're putting people through there who aren't in a good place, who may not we sure. don't have time to clean up and get them off a of drug. So I thought, but it was so ritualized and there's so much chicken bones and shaking and rattles Did you and have to gongs. Get up and dance? I was just like... I was like, man, if I put, Were you if I put doing ten, like your interpretive dance, yeah, yeah. I was like, if I put 10 seals in here, that dude would be rigish taped up in the corner <laughs> you know, with yeah. that, that gong handle sticking out of his butt. You know, I'm like, um, so that was kind of my main reason for doing it. And by the third night, I was just like, I'm over it, but I'm, I'm going to do it because I said I was going to do it. And I came here as a group and I just like kind of took it and laid there just like grumpily and I just tried to experiment like to see if I could count time and see if I could stop myself from going did in the same, same thing it hit you immediately hit me immediately yeah did you have uh, the same experience three nights in a row the second night was a little bit better there was a period of it where it was just kind of like 
very rethral. Like there's just like, do you think there's different like strains or brews? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, uh, that's one of the, plants. I've been to some, I've, I've been to some restaurants and some bars uh, right. that pour you a great drink. And I've been to this other ones that taste like battery acid. Right. And you order two old They're fashions. using the same liquor, right? Yeah. And it's like, how are you making this so different? Yeah. Right? I'm ordering the same liquor out of the same manufacturer yeah. that I know is consistent because I have it at my house or whatever. And it's so terrible. Um, and so like it's it depends like they got to get the ratios right it's how long do they boil it it's how how fresh is it i guess like when did they make it when did you get it like usually when you get ayahuasca here it comes from hawaii so how long did it take and it comes in like a big freaking 16 ounce water bottle or 20 ounce water like plastic water bottle you know it's like how much of that's you know, how, how hot is this thing got? Yeah, like, how much, leaching BPAs. like well, how much BPAs am I getting through my system? How much of it has been degraded by sunlight? Like, so there's no dosing that. Whereas the Ibogaine, they've reduced to a salt and they can weigh out. And I, I think the Ibogaine um, falls off at higher body weights, though, because they do it, they calculate that with your body weight. And every guy who's like my size ish or bigger all feel like they get underdosed. Uh, I feel like I got underdosed. Um, one of my buddies um, I went through buds with, he's probably I don't know, 10, 15 pounds lighter than me. And he did it twice and felt like he got nothing out of it. And he's like, I want the dose you give to heroin addicts. And then they gave him that. And then he had the same experience that everybody else did. Mm. But then there's some other dudes who are like pretty good sized guys, you know, 220, 230, who they do the standard dose and they puke for 36 hours and they're out you know, completely gone for a day and a half. And I basically watched, it's like I was watching television on an iPhone across the room. Couldn't really understand it. Couldn't like just kind of that same thing, like flipping channels. Couldn't really tell who it was or what they were saying. I was just like kind of trying to watch that and pay attention to it. And it just got bored with it and fell asleep. So it lasted about four hours for me. And, not they, much of it. Maybe just metabolize it quickly. I mean, but, because if it's quick in the front door, it's going to be quick in the back yeah, door too. Yeah, and that might be it. And when I did, I, and when I did psilocybin, that was like I had some really amazing, like profound experiences with that. But I was, I also came out of it way faster than everybody else. So, it might just be a metabolic rate, like however my brain processes it. So whatever ends up. Maybe it's a survival instinct. Could be. You know, it could be. So I think I, uh, when I did psilocybin, most people were. It was like six solid six hours to kind of seven hours that most people took to kind of process it all. Uh, we did that. We did that two nights, and uh, first night I was done in four hours. Second night I was done in three hours. Wow! But when they come by and ask you if you want seconds, like there's no way I want seconds because like I'm I'm orbiting Saturn when they come and ask me if I want seconds. Like I'm I'm so on, far on the psilocybin. You mean? Yeah, I was thing? just like, there's no way. Like you kidding me? Like. <laughs> Like, um, can, couldn't imagine being more dissociated than I am right now. No, I, I remember, um, you know, uh, reading through all Paul Stamets book and, um, all that stuff. I mean, they were talking about different heroic doses and this and somewhere around that five grams. Yeah. And, uh, Matt Vincent posted something about taking like nine grams and I was reading the stories about people on five grams and I'm like, Oh my God, nine grams. But you know, he's, he's well skilled in that and yeah. he's not new to it. So. 
I bet you there is something where if this is something you regularly do, it's probably a dose related thing. It's kind yeah. of like alcohol maybe. Yeah. You know, I, I, well, you I, def- I mean, you definitely have to build up enzymes to break things down. Yeah. Like the more you expose your body to it, your body's going to uh, figure out a way to process it. I'm a terrible drinker. Like yeah. I'm like one or two drinks. I'm smashed. Like yeah. I, I just don't drink enough alcohol. Right. And I've been out with, you know, guys like, I mean, some of the SEAL guys are, or even NFL players and fucking drink a bottle of booze and be fine. Yeah. You know, I think it comes down to a skill, which yeah. I'm, I'm totally fine to be a lightweight. Yeah. I'm, I'm the cheapest date on the I'm, I'm the same way. When when I was young and like a, a SEAL kind of that age in the it's, 20s. Like, it's cool. I I couldn't get drunk. Like I couldn't get drunk off a of beer. Like I, I could drink I could drink as much as I could possibly tolerate to drink and it didn't make me drunk. I would have need, I'd need like liquor to get drunk. And now I'm the same shoes. Like one, like sometimes I get like one margarita. I'm halfway through it. I'm like, geez, <laughs> right? Like, you're like, that's enough for the day. <laughs> you're like, who's pouring these things? Heavy hands. I mean, my eyes are starting to cross. I'm like, my goodness. I, I mean, I actually did that with a Coors Light not too long ago. I was, uh, oh, when I went to San Jose for that podcast, I hadn't had a drop of liquor since my wedding, and I had a Coors Light in the airport just because I hate the whole experience of being yeah. in an airport and flying and all that crap. And I'm just like, Oh, maybe settle my nerves a little. And I was loopy. I mean, by the time I walked down to my gate, I was like, wow, like, I, I can't drink at all anymore. Yeah. Um, but my father's an alcoholic. So like the son of an alcoholic, uh, the, the son of a male alcoholic, it's like, you can, you can almost guarantee that you have twice the amount of alcohol dehydrogenase as most people. Mm. Um, is but only, is but only, it's something that's is, is really, only if you don't ever thing? use it. Yeah, it's only male to male. Yeah. What about like um, like my wife's father was a you know had a problem with drinking. I'm wonder, always wondered about. Yeah, it's it's. I, I mean, it can it can go to the daughter. Oh, uh, but she's, dude. Uh, but it's it, Kate's all, ability, it almost always goes to the son. Like Kate's ability to metabolize alcohol is almost zero. Uh, she's like uh, have one drink, ooh, and we used to joke that like there'd be like a guy go, yeah. And all of a sudden, she's <laughs> you've got a dart in your neck. Dude, seriously, to, 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 uh, we would go out and like Kate would have a drink and my brother would like look over and he'd be like, dude, did Kate just get ninja blow darted? She'd be like passed out. I've never seen anybody like go from zero to nothing so quickly. Her and Brandy should drink together. Oh my God. Brand, Brandy's <laughs> terrible. I'm like, uh, you I'm like, that? you guys are the worst drinkers. The fact that you haven't been abducted and ended up in Mexico <laughs> I, with like, I with know. like uh, duct tape and, and shovels. Yeah. I'm like, this is crazy. You remember, you remember that little house I lived in in Zilker, yeah. uh, and that couch was up against the wall. Of the bathroom is like whatever that was, not even as far across as this room right here. Um, and uh, the first time Brandy was over at my house, and I made margaritas, and she hadn't even finished a margarita yet. And she's like, "I got to go to the bathroom." And she gets up and she starts walking, and she just leans more and more and more. <laughs> and, she, and I'm like like halfway like should i should i like i don't know if i should and by the time i feel like i should definitely grab her i feel like it's too late and she just barely gets in the door frame and catches <laughs> and she, i was like you don't drink much do you and she's like no not really yeah <laughs> which uh to me isn't isn't a bad thing it's no. kind of a you know you go over and and have like a glass of wine and you're fine but i mean yeah i, I can't imagine sitting there and slugging that stuff back day after day it's, yeah it's rough and it's so it's so hard on you metabolically, and it messes with your sleep so bad. And it's just well, I feel like you can process like this is um, 
I think you and I discussed this in private, but, um, you know, like even like, um, you know, a lot of these young bodybuilders use these like uh, trend and yeah. some of these really, really toxic drugs that are yeah. been approved for humans. I mean, they're basically cattle drugs right. that they've some taken down. These guys are using and these guys in their 18, 19, 20, 21 use it and really have no effect. Whereas if you were to use those same drugs in your thirties or forties, yeah. you have some fucking catastrophic things going wrong with you. So I wonder if, uh, when you're young, you know, you're probably still in this kind of, positive growth state up until about the age of 26 yeah. you can you know probably torture yourself pretty good take a bunch of illicit drugs that are probably meant for cattle and drink alcohol and do these things yeah. and tear yourself up and probably not have the same effect whereas if you do those in your 30 late 30s 40s and 50s you're gonna have some catastrophic problems yeah, i mean you're so metabolically durable because you're the prime of the species at that point right you're, you're supposed to be reproducing providing protecting and you know whatever battling uh and you know you think about how we evolved to hunt like you know running down animals till he existed or for like fighting animals that are way stronger than you way more powerful than you with spears and whatever and like oh uh, ton i mean i i imagine you know the equivalent of war which probably monthly quarterly i mean daily like, i mean maybe daily i mean yeah. it just seems like probably anytime you saw somebody from another tribe or clan like it, it was on right yeah. uh and and so you know like it makes sense that you have that super durable age and same thing with like i mean even younger than what's legal but i mean you know probably you know females are probably primed to start having babies around 14 or 15 years old you know and yeah. because that's when they're super elastic like the growth plates haven't even necessarily closed everywhere. They, you know, they can their their pelvises can stretch apart and everything can come back together. You know, and just way safer. And then the older and older you get, the harder it the harder it is to get pregnant. Well, the harder it is to deliver safely. You know? Well, I um, they always showed uh, Sofia Vergara when she had like her son. I think when she was like eighteen, and like the kids, you know, she's probably now in her fifties, and her son's probably in his like late thirties, early forties. Mm -hmm. And like you see her, and like she had this kid so young, and it's like, yeah, you know, she looks you know, one of the more beautiful women I've ever seen. Yeah. And it's just, you know, like that ability to have it. But I, I wonder about the durability too, when, as we age, I wonder if there's a huge genetic component. Um, you know, we have a mutual friend who recently was saying, I was, you know, felt like, uh, his uh, skin was thinning, Yeah, you know, and he, and like, you know, it goes and, you know, whether he's doing jits or anything, he gets nicked up and he's feel like his thin, his skin is very thin. Whereas, uh, if you look at a lot of these kind of genetic things, yeah. Um, they are definite things with, uh, you know, with aging. Like, I mean, you know, the fact that my mom's 84 and she goes in and they're like, uh, you're the birthday's wrong all the time. when she goes and sees the doc yeah. and she walks and takes no medication. And you know, she's constantly like, how much long do I have to do this? I'm like, you just genetically yeah. have avoided a lot of stuff and have, you know, always been pretty healthy. I mean, no major issues. I mean, yeah. you know, so I, I wonder if there's genetics like, is a huge role. I mean, it, especially it's, as we it's un, un, unquestionably, it's a huge role. The skin, you know, is, you know, obviously it's a very large organ, um, but it it it, it kind of tells the story of how hard you've been on yourself, you know, um, and uh, but think about the genetic difference. I mean, you, like if if you're like from an African descent, you can get a ton of sun exposure. Like, I mean, how many like. 60 year old black guys have you seen that could have passed for 30 or 35 right you yeah know, just because their skin doesn't really seem to age that much you know yeah. um and if they stay lean and muscular like i don't know you look kind of same 35 40 years old i don't know yeah. filipinos but, too but like, my 
you know, my mom's Irish and redhead and like, I don't really tan. And so I get freckles and spots and you yeah, know, you're either red or white. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I am a spotty leper, you know, and, and you know what he was talking about. I'm like, dude, you're yeah. so you're so late to the party. I, I remember doing jits and coming out like just with cuts after cut after cut. And like, yeah, you know, somebody's gi goes across my face spots. and it takes all the skin. Yeah. And, and, and I don't, I don't cut either. I mean, you would yeah. think with the NFL stuff. Yeah, you know the only the are you are you Italian bloodline? No, no, I'm. Uh, um, uh, my my grandparents are from Denmark. My oh. great grandmother was from Sweden, and the rest of my family is from Ireland and uh, England. Yeah, so I'm. I'm uh, the I'm, Viking bloodline is probably what made you. Really uh, right, you know? Yeah, they. Yeah. Uh, we got some DNA test, and uh, they it actually came back that we had some specific gene for Viking. Yeah. Like it was, uh, I, I don't know. They were like, uh, there was some like kind of, I don't know what it was. It wasn't 23 me. It was something else my mom did. Yeah. They came back specific that there was some gene that was associated with like Viking seafaring people that they yeah. figured out. So those are my dreams. Yeah. The Celtics are an amazing kind of hardy breed <laughs> that, you know, yeah. that, that's, and they're, they're so freaking big, man. Like all those. Like the Danes. Yeah. I mean, my, my grandparents are from, uh, um, there's a beach town in South Denmark called a uh, Faborg. Mm-hmm. That was her last name. You know, mm-hmm. when you came to America, where are you from? Faborg, and that's the last name. That yeah. So it's, uh, and then my, my other grandmother was from Sweden. So my mom's mom, uh, or my mom's grandmother was actually from Sweden. Yeah. So, I mean, we just. Uh, I was on, I was on a Dutch submarine and I was by probably three inches, the shortest guy on the submarine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's like. Like, yeah, if, this is a submarine. This is where you're supposed to put your short people. <laughs> if you yeah. go to uh, like, uh, if you go to uh, Denmark, um, you go to Holland. You know, yeah. uh, not so much Sweden, but when we went to Finland and uh, yeah. and uh, Norway, yeah, uh, like m- there were plenty of dudes as tall as me, if not a little taller than me. Yeah. Like you know, we went to bars and uh, I want to say we were in in Holland. And uh, went to a bar, and every bouncer was six six, six seven, yeah. six eight. I mean, they weren't as broad, but they were all equally as tall. Did I tell you my my Norway story when I went and got pizza. <laughs> first, so the first night I was in Norway, for, first time I ever went to Norway, uh, I was in Oslo. Um, when is this? How long ago? Uh, two thousand six, seven, okay. something like that. Um, we go in there just like three of us navy you know we're staying in the hotel we just walk trying to find something to eat it's pretty late so the the only thing that seemed to be open was this pizza place so we go in there we sit down we start ordering a pizza and there's this table off maybe as far as that rack is away from me i keep looking at this dude he's really big you know i don't want to piss him off and make him think i'm sad or something but i'm just kind of glancing like dude that that guy looks really familiar and then just kind of hits me i'm like that's finn carlson dude oh fuck (laughs) so world's strongest man so i'll go over i'm like Hey, Spin Carlson. He's like, yeah, yeah, come here. And he like pulls me in, sits down and, and talks to me for like three hours. I mean, just nonstop. <laughs> and I take a picture with him and there's this picture of him. He's like leaning on my shoulder and I, I look like a six-year-old girl next to him. So like, he just he, he's so thick. And yeah. Bro- I mean, he, he wasn't, he's not super tall. He's not as tall as you, but he's just like so freaking bigger out and just everything was so thick about him. I was like, wow, it's a different species or something, man. Uh, yeah, um, I I read something recently that in Iceland, um, the language and the people have been so homogeneous for so long that even like the runes and the texts and the writings from like a thousand years ago, the average person can still read. Wow! So like you know like like they'll go to these churches and carvings yeah. and they do like still like they can still speak and and this I mean it really hasn't changed that much. And I can't read the text of a twenty three year old. Yeah. 
And uh, oh, I know I, my daughters text me, and I have no idea what they're yeah. saying. But uh, they just haven't evolved that much. I mean, it's a, such been such an interesting homogeneous society. Yeah. And uh, but uh, we had a funny Norway story. We were there. Uh, we taught. This is I'm terrible at geography. Like like uh, people are like, hey, you should come to Norway. So we were going to Sweden. We were teaching a bunch of it, uh, stuff. And I'm like, oh, let's go to you know, let's go to Norway. Yeah. So I figured they would be near Oslo. Um, yeah. We ended up in Bodo, Norway which is uh, actually in the Arctic Circle. It's a fishing town. Oh, wow. Uh, we go there in the summer. Way up there. Yeah. Uh, the cool part is it's like the world's biggest maelstrom, which is like the big swirl, mm -hmm. you know. So we, we got to go see some really amazing stuff there. But we went to go teach this seminar. And like um, first night we're out, uh, you know, we go out and like we went to dinner. And like all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, dude, we just dropped like $500 on like Mm. like an average dinner like we got like a cheap bottle of wine and some food and it was i mean it it was it wasn't expensive by their standards but the right. conversion was so high right so then we go to the you know go to teach the seminar um it kind of fucked us up because the sun didn't go down so yeah. we went to sleep in this and i think we were disoriented so we got there a little late which of course everybody there had been there early and they were pissed at us for being late but we yeah. show in uh my jokes are bombing <laughs> and finally i was like well all right dude like cut us some slack we just flew halfway around the world like we'll fucking get going so we break for lunch. We go to Subway. We got three six-inch Subway sandwiches, chips, and drinks, and it was the equivalent of 125 US dollars. Yeah. At that point, I was like, "God damn, this place is expensive." Yeah. And uh, you know, not that we didn't have the money to spend, but you're like a six-inch Subway. Yeah. Three of them. So we got like 18 inches of su of sandwiches for like 100 bucks, and then yeah. drinks and this. It just, man, uh, it was. Uh, uh, and then what was cool was one of the guys that was at the seminar. He was uh, like native. Um, you know, of like whatever their kind of Eskimo people are. Yeah. Uh, so their family had uh, hunting rights to be able to harvest whales. So we went out to this like local yurt and yeah. the guy had cooked us this traditional Norwegian uh, deal. And it was a seal blubber that was frozen. And then there was this stew with uh, whale meat. I'm mm -hmm. oh, sorry. It was a, sorry, whale blubber and then seal meat and like all of this like traditional food. And we, and then we uh, drank what, like their version of mead mead. It's like a um, honey deal. Mm -hmm. It smelled like pepper, honey. It smelled like the best thing ever. It tasted like battery acid. Mm -hmm. But we sat out there and drank this fucking moonshine that was awful and ate all this traditional food. And if you've ever had whale, it tastes like it, it's like red meat. But imagine uh, it's been bathed in iron. In iron? In iron. Oh, yeah. It has like the highest iron taste. Yeah, yeah. So imagine like cutting into a steak, still steak consistency, but no consistency, almost like a fishy consistency of iron. Yeah. And then the the, the blubber was frozen, but it was almost like candy was so sweet. And uh, had all these lingleberries and all this all this traditional food. It did, was, did they have to kill the whales with like... Traditional methods? Traditional methods, yeah. I think there's, it dude goes place, out there. There's like a place a, in the Grenadines like that too. It's like this one little island where you can still... They're still allowed to go whaling but they have to use traditional like, means hand throat and harpoons and yeah. stuff like that yeah they, uh, they, they yeah. i think the deal was they could go out and harvest as like a part of whaling rights or something yeah but it was i mean i can't imagine necessarily killing a whale um just because i think they're super cool yeah but uh that was Seems a little majestic yeah kind of like killing a horse or something yeah <laughs> like, like i i don't know like or yeah. killing an elephant yeah like oh, I, yeah. an elephant i i think like every time i've ever seen an elephant um, I've never seen them in Africa. I've always seen them at like uh, zoos yeah. or, or uh, um, circuses or other things. Yeah. I always like feel awful for them because they look so sad. Yeah. You know, like I just think they're, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, like to the point where I didn't even want, uh, uh, hold on, let me pass this. Uh, 
elephant cowboy boots. I remember I went to go get custom boots and they're like, we have these elephant skins. I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. Yeah. I, I don't like cows. Or- you know, I got to say, I, I, I have a pair of elephant boots on right now. Yeah. And, uh, I didn't give it any thought when I had them. I, I, I said, what's the toughest thing you have? They said, elephant. I'm like, all right, that. And then it wasn't really until. Those are cool boots. And that it wasn't really until I. Uh, thought about it? Yeah, I thought about it. Like, I think the next time I saw an elephant or something, I was like, oh, yeah, that kind of sucks. <laughs> like, but, I mean, hopefully they didn't kill the elephant to make my boots. Yes. But, you know, it's like, hopefully that was well, around anyway. Did, but uh, Did you ever see the, um, uh, the new Tarzan one with um, uh, the dude? Oh, God. Um, uh, has the chick that was in Barbie. It was like the legend, like, like the most recent Tarzan oh, one. What was it? Margo yeah, Robbie. yeah, with Margot Robbie, and then um, uh, he's he was in that badass Vikings movie. Um, I can't remember the dude's name, but there's a scene in there where they're like at night and they come up and the elephants are there and you can see like the set. I always thought like those are cool ass animals. Yeah, it, they're 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 amazing. I mean, those, those things live a long time. Yeah, that's got some huge genetics. And uh, when those things decide to stampede, man, there's nothing nothing on the planet's gonna stop them except our guns <laughs> oh yeah uh and um alexander uh yeah skarsgård yeah yeah, guy. yeah no he, it, it's a badass movie yeah yeah no I've, I've i watched it on a plane and it was one of those movies i came back and i watched so there's like three or four movies that i watch pretty consistently yeah one is um uh collateral with tom cruise where he's the ser- where, where he's the hitman oh yeah, yeah with uh, that one. uh jamie fox yeah with jamie driver. fox yeah i fucking love that movie yeah that one and uh, that Tarzan movie is one. I mean, there's I uh, that. the other one is um, uh, the new Top Gun movie. I could watch that all day. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, there's a couple Tom Cruise movies I loved. Uh, did you see the one where he was um, uh, uh, the one with Emily Blunt? What, what's the one where he uh, uh, the day die, after tomorrow? Die another day or yeah. oh yeah, day after tomorrow. Yeah, fucking great movie. That one's awesome. Where he keeps where he keeps, he keeps coming killed. back. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty funny, dude. That's, that's one of my favorite movies. Yeah. yeah. Oh was, yeah. Sorry, Edge of Tomorrow. God damn it, that's a good movie. And they're all Tom Cruise movies, and I know he's a total uh, insane person, but I love him for it. Well, I, I think most artists are pretty weird, dude. <laughs> that's well, how, the, how they can be artists. But that that Tarzan movie makes you think of that. You remember that Chris Rock bit way back, probably in the mid nineties, where he's talking about how the superheroes are white, Superman's white, blah, blah, blah. this guy's white. They said, even Tarzan, king of the jungle, white. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> like when he said that, I'm like, yeah, white people don't really live in the jungle. It's kind of, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the original story of Greystoke, I mean, the, the original story, like the book was pretty amazing. Yeah. You know, so I mean, it's a, it's, it's been told numerous times. And it's meant to be like a, a shipwrecked guy yeah. or something. Right? Yeah. Like, he was, uh, like, yeah. Like, wasn't uh, supposed to like, be the, yeah, like yeah. the house of Lords and he was the yeah. Lord of uh, Greystoke and they get shipwrecked and he kind of creates this, you know, uh, Swiss family Robinson tree house. Right. And then the, you know, the apes come in and kill him, And then, you know, the mother ape ends up oh, taking that, him. That's, and then right, he's raised. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty. Yeah. Who knows, man, you see some crazy stuff from people who are like gymnasts and really into CrossFit and they start screwing with their kids young and, their kids can do some pretty amazing things at like like six seven years old they're running monkey bars climbing up and there's peg walls and doing all kinds of stuff that well i could never imagine doing and what you expose your children to they'll master fairly early yeah like um one of the that's uh, neuroplasticity man well I, so much faster um my buddy matt has uh his son i want to say is six and he's got another little boy who's two 
And so what happens is, is when you have your first kid, you don't really get stuff until they're ready for it. Like, uh, you know, we got our kids like, oh, they need to ride bikes. So we got them bikes. Yeah. Not realizing that the bikes are already there once the other kids show up. Right. So like all of a sudden I'm seeing this two-year-old is like kicking ass on this like Razor scooter. And I'm like, oh man, he's great. He's like, yeah, he just picked up, yeah. you know, Matthew's scooter and he's been tearing it up. And I'm like, you know, the problem is, is this I tell people, if you have a, like your first kid, just go buy a bunch of whole shit, like yeah. buy a bike, buy a scooter, buy all the things that he might need when he's six and just make sure they're available to him. And then maybe there's some other kids to show him how to do it. I, th- I think, I think we definitely retard our kids learning with the social science research, you know, and I have like, I think a very, it's very hard to discredit the story. So, you know, when we had my first, when I had my first son, um, you know, first baby, young couples, we build out the nursery and like repaint it, put in new carpet, do the, have the murals on the wall and then you have all the black and white checkered things with the red and like all 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 the toys and all the games and everything you're supposed to have to stimulate your kids learning right and uh you know of course first they're in their crib then as soon as my son gets old enough to kind of scoot put him down on the floor and you know how it is like i'd spent like a month getting this nursery ready and made sure that all the bookshelves were screwed into the wall so they can't be pulled over and all this stuff this bookshelf is about the bottom bookshelf is about two or three inches, about two or three inches off the carpet. He crawls over every toy in the room, slides his hand underneath the, underneath the bottom shelf and pulls out a screwdriver that I had left when I was cleaning when I was building up the room. Didn't care about anything except a screwdriver. How the hell did he know that the screwdriver was like the only thing I wouldn't want him to play with. And that's the only thing he was interested in. And I'm just like, well, obviously all these things aren't as stimulating to him as that screwdriver was. Maybe he saw you using it. No, that, that had been left under there since before he was born. Oh, wow. Cause I'd gotten the, I'd yeah, gotten yeah. everything done and I'd left it under there. And he like, I mean, he was like, you know, three or four months old. Like he was just barely not even crawling. Well, it's kind of like scooching and crawling, scooching and crawling. And he just, I mean, and it was from here to that wall, just straight into there, grabs the screwdriver out. And I'm like, all right, well, going to give a bunch of spoons and <laughs> like safe toy or safe tools and let them play with that because that seems to be what simulated. And then, you know, no big surprise. All he cared about was like tools and trucks and cars and construction equipment and stuff. And like, that's where, that's what fascinated his brain for a while. So, I don't know. I think the black and white stuff and black and white with the red contrast is meant for visual development, mm-hmm. but whose visual system doesn't develop? Well, and I mean, the other <laughs> one is, is all those people have those things above the kids still. Yeah. Well, you're yeah. supposed to change them like yeah. every week. Yeah, nobody exactly. fucking changes them. You know, no. just have the thing and the kid looks at the same shit and gets bored seeing it. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, uh, um, I think with parenting, uh, you know, I mean, obviously there's every human being on this planet has entered through the same portal. And yeah. goes through the same experience, right? Like, and you know, we all live, you know, one hundred percent women. Yeah, have given birth so far. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, women give birth to our species, uh, regardless of how much you believe it. But everybody enters, and that's a interesting piece. Like, there isn't a person on the planet that hasn't entered through the same way. Yeah, right. Like, it's like they grow in a woman and come out, and like this whole deal. And so, I think with this many data points, everybody's like, I'm going to do it better. Right. And then you realize that your function as a parent 
is to make sure that your child stays alive. Right. So, I mean, all this other stuff. And watch them develop and encourage them not to do things that will kill them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just just trying to like get them. And I remember my mom telling me parenting is the most difficult thing. If you look, but it's uh, it's the most difficult thing you'll ever do. But it's not complex if you look at it from its root core, which is your job is to is to basically safeguard your children from killing themselves. Yeah, lots of simple things are hard. Yeah, and it's, so it's it's a simple concept, but it's really hard to do. So all yeah. all these people they want to do all these things. I'm going to do this and this, and it's like provide safety I, I feel- and then and and teach them like the age old prepare your children for when you're not around. Right, like teach them to make good decisions not to do dumb shit in this, but then you also can't give your children your own fears. That's the one thing I've never done. Yeah. Like, like uh, I, I feel terrible when the, the fears of the parent become the fears and the sins of the child, right? right. Like, well, I'm scared of cars. So then we're not going <clears> to <throat> ride in cars. Now you're afraid of this or, you know, the mom yeah. or the dad's scared to dogs. So then the kids are scared of dogs. I'm like, you know, my job is to basically teach them problem solving and how to navigate right. this world. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest disservice you can do to your kids is to solve all their problems for them and keep them, <clears throat> you know, bubble wrap them and keep them completely away from every form of disappointment because eventually they're going to go out in the real world and they're going to get their teeth kicked in because we all do. And if the first time they've ever gotten their teeth kicked in is when they're 25, oh, they're not going to have any idea how to handle it. But yeah. it's like you've been getting your teeth kicked in your whole life, but you have like some parents around there like, hey, we all get our teeth kicked in and this is how you bounce back from it. And this is what you learn from that. Right. And, and you learn how to handle disappointment and setbacks and, you know, and, and like and, you know, the you know, I mean, you you experience this more than I do, but um, like the whole concept that, you know, you see all these parents that are just so pathological about their kids being the best and winning at every sport and whatever. And I'm like, oh, you know, you, you learn a lot more from losing than you do from winning. You know, it's like you, well, you should encourage your kids to have a really good attitude about sports and really get after it and I think at the highest are, level. But I think when you make people from, afraid of losing, like that's pathological because well, you're going to lose. That's parents uh, reliving something that they thought they lost. Right. Um, I, what I've noticed is a lot of the parents that, that uh, I've dealt with for many years, um, they're trying to live vicariously and trying to maybe yeah. fix the wrongs that they felt that maybe that they were, were dealt. Whereas for me, I'm like, uh, I don't really have any of that. You know, like yeah. I, but I also know that the, the coaches and the problems or any of the bullshit I dealt with just made me better at the end of the day. So I don't look at his adversity as a negative. I look, I, I hope that you get shot <laughs> adversity early in your life. So, I mean, um, we had a intern, that worked for here at power athlete. And I remember he was, uh, he was fucking up. He just wasn't doing what we need him to do. And like, we were busting his balls as we fucking do. Yeah. And he had like a huge emotional breakdown that this was the first time in his life at 23 years old that he wasn't told good job. And that he felt that he wasn't doing something well, oh, wow. graduated college. So he'd gone all uh, middle school, high school, college, and had done everything well. Everybody told him how great he was. And this was the first time he'd experienced failure was in his twenties. I almost fucking died. And I was like, shit. He's like, when's the first time you experienced failure? I'm like, I mean, failure has been my teacher for as long yeah. as I've, I've lived. That's actually kind of sad. I mean, like, it, that's kind of depressing to hear that. Like, well, I was glad sad. I could be the yeah. uh, the rock that he shattered on. But, yeah. uh, you know, you don't do yourself, like you say, you don't do your kids any favors by solving all their problems. Right. Like your clients, too. Right. I'm sure you, you're out there trying to solve all their problems. Mm-hmm. If, if you were going to put, like, a definitive, 
and I, um, I had, uh, Dr. Hunter Waldman on, um, who's one of the guys from, um, he's a power athlete coach. He's a PhD teaches at uh, Northern Alabama, does a bunch of research on nutrition and supplements and whatnot. We kind of put a definitive guide uh, and kind of what I was planning on doing a little bit with this podcast was like Doc Parsley's definitive guide for, you know, maximizing performance in this. I mean, you know, you talked about earlier the, the basis of sleep. Mm-hmm. That you know, if you're gonna you know be awake for 16 hours, you got to sleep for eight. You know, it's like right. a, a two thirds. Yeah, for every two thirds you're up, you got to give me a third in, in sleep. Yeah, but if somebody wanted to like maximize their sleep, I mean, there's like we said, avoiding alcohol, avoiding light before this. I mean, there's a bunch of little strategies associated with it. Yeah, but are there people that are just inherently bad sleepers? There's Is seem, that something that happens? There seem to be. Um, like there, there are. Yeah, I want to say there's like 81 or 82 different sleep disorder diagnoses or something like that now, uh, which I think is is absurd. Um, But like body habitus has a huge impact on it, right? So people who people who are really overweight, under muscular, over fat, um, and that that is almost always. that's almost always uh, also present with uh, inflammation. So you're, you're chronically inflamed. If you're if you're fat, you're chronically inflamed. Like there's no there's no way no way around that. So you have chronic inflammation, bad body habitus. That affects sleep because that affects the palate and that affects your ability to breathe while you're uh, sleeping. And then the more inflamed you are, the more acidemic you are. The, more your pH is suboptimal, which affects your brain's registry of how much you need to breathe, which can affect stress hormones and all other stuff. So that's like just being metabolically broken, out of shape, living a poor lifestyle. That's a big component of America. Uh, But what I would say is damn near ubiquitous. I mean, there may be two or 3% of the population that isn't, that their sleep isn't seriously impacted by their stress levels. And again, Stress hormones are good in the right in the right proportion, right? The proportion that you need to stay alert, appropriately alert in your environment, stress hormones are great. The number one reason people can't sleep well, and this is the same for people who told me I've slept great for the last two years, I can't sleep well, or I haven't slept well since I was a teenager. Let me guess, you're a straight A student. You're trying to get into Harvard and you're like, trying to get a college scholarship or, or whatever, like you're super driven at 15 years old when you, yeah, almost always, right? So the prime, the number one reason people can't sleep, the num- so the number one cause of insomnia is what we call a psychophysiologic insomnia. It means you can't sleep because you're worried that you're not gonna be able to sleep. Yeah. Right? And so the, <laughs> yeah. the, like the, it, it, you know, it's funny, like you you know, yeah. like we've, we talk about, I like, I've always gotten, I always, I always have a new tool in the tool bag. There's always something new and exciting to try. Like, you know, anything from food, nutrition, sleep, exercise, stress, hormones, peptides, SARMs, SERMs, hyperbaric, psychedelics, yeah. whatever, like all kinds of stuff. The most powerful thing I do is get people to take stress out of their sleep. And, it, and it's, it's really just like a kind of a mishmash of things I've put together with kind of this little cognitive behavioral core to it. Um, and it's, uh, you know, we have a, like a four page, uh, work kind of worksheet, uh, version of this that, that Megan or Shayla can give you to put on your side if you want your audience to download. But, um, a lot, it's, 
a lot of it you I'm sure you've heard before. So like we know evolutionarily, we evolved to use the sun as our cue. We don't do that anymore to our detriment. Just like we don't eat what we evolved to eat to our detriment. We don't exercise the way we well, evolved to exercise we to do. our detriment. Well, I mean, we do as a society, yeah. as the Western Western societies don't tend to do this. And so you need to you need to reapproximate that to the best of your ability. Evolutionarily, your brain wasn't ready to fall asleep for two to three hours after the sun went down. So the blue light left. That stimulates, of course, the release of melatonin from the pineal gland. That leads to hundreds of cascades that changes your brain chemistry completely and eventually starts changing your, your, your body's physiology as well. And one of the first things that happens after the secretion of melatonin is the increase of the neuropeptide GABA, which slows down the neocortex and makes it harder for you to interact with the world. Right? So you... All your senses still work exactly the same while you're asleep. You just aren't paying attention to them. You aren't processing them. You can still see, feel, smell, taste, touch. All of that stuff is still there. You just aren't doing it. That's why I can turn on a light and wake you up. I can make a sound wake you up. I can shake you and wake you up because you're you're still capable of it. You're just not, your brain has slowed down. It's like we've lowered, we've lowered the action potential. Like we've we've set the the voltage way lower to where it takes way more power to overcome that. That's what GABA does. You can overcome that by exercising, having bright light, going to a bar and chasing girls, watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like whatever. Like you can, you can overcome that. Uh, you can sit on your computer with blue blocking glasses on and work on a work on a work project that has a deadline tomorrow till nine fifty nine and get to bed at ten o'clock and good luck going to sleep, right? Because you've you haven't let that gab overtake you. So you set an alarm clock when it's time to get ready for bed. And when it's time to get ready, that alarm clock is just as important as the alarm clock that you wake up in because the number one, the, the number one to number 50 important things that you want to do in your life are on the list. That's what we do first. We make a list. One side is a list to do list as far out as you're willing, as far out as you're likely to worry. You know me. Tomorrow, that's about as far out as I work. <laughs> <laughs> Some people, like six months ahead, yeah, they're yeah, thinking yeah. about stuff. Like, I yeah, those are women. Yeah, and then so that's your to-do list, and then on the other side, you have your to-worry list. Your to-worry list is shit you don't have any control over, but you know you're going to think about it. You know you're going to worry about it. So you make this list. You make that during the day when your brain's working fine. You have it next to your bed. It's handwritten. You have a pen or pencil next to it. So if you ever think about anything that's not on the list, you get it right so alarm clock goes off say ideally you take an hour to get ready for bed and you do the sleep hygiene things the best you can get rid of the blue light lower your body temperature settle down don't exercise maybe do some breath work blah 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 blah. take your sleep supplements whatever you do get in bed an hour later and then until that morning alarm clock goes off all you do is you lay in your bed and you rest you meditate or you sleep that's it you don't look at the clock. You don't think about anything on the list because everything on that list is important. That's why it's on the list. If you're handling important things, you want to have the best possible you handling that, right? Like your, your best resources. Well, when are you your best? You're your best 90 minutes after you work out, wake up till about four or five, maybe six hours later. That's your best. That's the best you're going to be. That's the most capable you're ever going to be. That's when you're going to handle your list. So if anything in your, when you're laying in your bed, say, I'm going to lay down here. I'm going to do box breathing. I'm going to lay down. I'm going to do progressive muscle relaxing. I'm going to say prayers. I'm going to meditate. Whatever it is that settles you down. You lay there and you do that. 
until the alarm clock goes off. And if you fall asleep, great. If you don't fall asleep, who cares? Because that's the next best thing. You're laying there, you're recovering the best you can. Now you're obviously gonna sleep. When you wake up, doesn't matter what time it is. If you need to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom, come back, get in bed, lay there and start box breathing again. If your alarm clock's gonna go off 15 minutes later, maybe you lay there and you box breathe for 15 minutes, the alarm clock goes off and you slept for seven hours and 45 minutes and you meditated or did box breathing for 15 minutes, great, get up and go do your day. The key to it, like that's all very prescribed and you can just follow those steps and that's what I recommend starting with. But until you make that connection, when you're laying in your bed and you're not relaxing and you're not sleeping, until you make the connection that I'm screwing myself over. Like the, I have this thing that I have all this stuff to do tomorrow and I'm screwing myself over right now by thinking about that or allowing my, by not resting or worrying about not resting. Because let's face it, if you can spend eight hours in bed, if you sleep all eight hours, great. We're terrible at realizing how much we've actually slept. So sure. you lay in bed and you do think you do, you do the closest thing to sleep you know how to do, whether that's meditation or prayer, breath work or muscle relaxation, whatever you do, that's the closest thing. That's the lowest stress you can, you know, like you're lowering your stress hormones by doing that. And either you're falling asleep or you're not, you don't really know. And over time, like once you, once you get to the point where you're like, Hey, after eight hours, I'm going to be the best at handling my list. So this is like, I'm really dedicating this eight hours to preparing myself for that list. And once you make that connection, you'll never have sleep problems again. Like as soon as that clicks, yeah never you'll never have the problem again in your life so as soon as i lay down i take six deep breaths mm -hmm. and i'm usually asleep by the sixth breath yeah like it's 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 universal like i've never had a problem falling asleep well uh, i've never like the only time I, I had sleep trouble and i know we talked about this was after jamie got uh her dog attack i was waking up in these like weird like panic attack at right. 3 a.m and it was i mean it was 301 3 a.m 3 i mean it yeah. would like i'd go to bed at 9 30 and at 3 a.m i'd wake up and I would wake up in this like fit and I was uh, like heart racing in this and it would take me a while to like calm back down and go back to sleep. And I kind of, you know, fall in and out, but um, it took me, you know, months to kind of get over that. And it's uh, challenging the value of your existence. Well, I, right? it, it was uh, like your daughter. Yeah. Like well, it was a feeling of the um, thing that you're meant to protect and safeguard and all like yeah. that, like that's well, over, it's overwhelming. Yeah, it was overwhelming. I mean, one, the fact that, um, you know, I couldn't protect her from it, but I was, I was glad that she was able to protect herself too, that the neighbor's a fucking piece of shit and didn't have insurance and refused to take any responsibility and pay for anything. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, there's a bunch of medical bills associated, which is fine. Um, you know, we've done fine. But, uh, you know, that that somebody could be uh, that fucking emotionally obtuse, broken. Callous. Callous yeah. and just fucking piece of shit. Yeah. That they would, one, not claim any responsibility and then and uh, fucking claim, like, not even to, um, you know, want to at least help or and that guy getting a hunting accident or something. No, fuck. I hope he lives a <laughs> fucking painful deathful life. Uh, he's old, so he'll die soon. And yeah. then, uh, um, you know, we'll go out there and just piss on his fucking grave every day, but yeah. it's a shitty deal. So I, I, I think the lack of like one it happening and then two the response of like the neighbor whose dog, it was yeah. acting like that was, uh, extremely, you know, stressful for me, but to see how well, how resilient she is and how she came out the other side of this thing. And is like, you know, I mean, she, 
you know, with the the bandages on and the scars and everything, still wanted to go to school and was like in a wheelchair. And like one of the little kids saw her and like had a panic attack and had to go home. Wow. And she was like, even like, it was funny recently. She's like, I can't believe I went to school that banged up. Like, like what was I thinking? And I was like, you are your father's daughter. Yeah. Like you are like, like, like these things will not define you. And it's a reason you've been so resilient. Um, when I got my blue belt, um, Shanji got up and I didn't know I was getting my blue belt. And so we, uh, Lobato had this big seminar. And after Shanji was like, you know, um, we're going to, you know, I want to like, call somebody up. And he told the story of, you know, one of the things that, you know, didn't necessarily force him, but kind of got him into jujitsu. Um, you know, he brought his daughter here and then she got in this dog tack. And, uh, you know, when I pulled her out and she had said, you know, dad, I did jujitsu on the dog. I mean, literally we had taught spider guard the last two weeks. Uh-huh. The dog knocked her down and she like put her chin down and like fought that dog and was trying to control him and fucking fought him off. Yeah. And the crazy part is for 130 pound Antolian shepherd, the amount of people those dogs have killed. Yeah. If you check on the internet is fucking immense. Yeah. And that little girl fought and that was what she said. So, you know, Shanji kind of, uh, you know, made the joke. He's like, you know, uh, she said to Shanji, she's like, yeah, that dog didn't pass my guard, which <laughs> was funny because, you know, in 20 years of competition, Shanji never had his guard passed. Yeah. And Shanji made the joke. He's like, I never had my guard passed, but I never had a 130 pound dog try to pass my guard. Yeah. And then he gave me my blue belt and I was pretty emotional, like, cause I hadn't thought oh, yeah. about it in a long time. So I got up there and I like turned around and I saw all these people and I should have just been like, you know, thanks for the belt, Shanji. But I said, I was like, you know, it's true. Uh, uh, you know, this thing will ha- happen to Jamie. And, and as a result of, you know, Alex, you know, teaching this girl and Shanji and, you know, Victor and them like taking this girl and saving her life. I felt uh, indebted to work with Victor and, you know, coach these guys, which I've done, you know, now they become like family to me. Uh, And then like realizing that something good came out of this and understanding mentorship and, you know, some of the pillars of power athlete in terms of mentoring and offering great information so that people can be the best versions of themselves. I didn't realize, uh, you know, even though we talk about this, I, I like, fucking hit me a hundred miles an hour. Yeah. Like here's this moment and here and you know, and I, I get a chance to work with these kids and then here I am a year later, or a year and a half later. And now here these guys are tying a blue belt on me, which in the grand scheme is very low on the scale, but it was a, it was a cool accomplishment having done this for something I never thought I would do and kind of get into it. And now I kind of have this kind of makeshift family of Brazilians yeah. that, uh, you know, cared enough to train my daughter in her darkest hour where she came through. Yeah. And so now my goal is to train them so that, you know, they can stand on the greatest, you know, plat or the, the greatest step of greatness. So it's, uh, and then every day I drive down the driveway, I drive past where it happened. And it's like this fucking motivator for one to like train, fucking prepare, right. um, you know, still go in and bust ass and do all these things. And it's like, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of, con- it, it, there's a lot of emotions that I deal with every single day, whether it be working, Ooh, working with, yeah, oh, it's a little flaccid, (laughs) but a a lot of emotion. Uh, One, um, you know, obviously living on the same property, seeing my daughter every day, training these guys in this and kind of like the whole culmination. But when he gave me that blue belt, I I like got up there and like was going to tear up and I should have just not said anything in there, but I felt like, as you know, compelled to say something. I've fucking all these podcasts. Yeah. But it was uh, it was a really interesting piece where I was like waking up at 3 a.m. And I realized I was like, you can either allow this to become something that I need to go talk clinically or I can fucking pivot this thing 180 degrees 
and realize that this is the you know call that I need to be able to go out and do these things. And right. I think it was extremely motivating. But the one thing which for me, for for like the motivation for me was seeing how resilient that little girl is. Yeah. And to see her being like, you know, she was uh, at, um, you know, what is it? Like Urban Air or whatever, Hi-Fi, wherever they go. And some kid like asked her about her scars and she's like, oh no, I got attacked by a dog. And yeah. like someone's like, oh, little scars in your face. And she just kind of like well, shrugs it off. It doesn't bother her in the least. Yeah. And seeing how tough and resilient that girl is, I'm like, dude. Kids are so much more resilient no. than we give them credit for. <laughs> well, it, it's, yeah. I mean, uh-huh. it's, uh, I, I think as a parent, you're like, and e- even We're for, all deathly afraid we're screwing up our kids. We're doing well, the wrong thing, you know? Well, like yeah. you, you hope you've done enough. But yeah. I mean, e- even for the people on this, on like within the, our power athlete family, like uh, one of my nutrition coaches hit me up and was like, hey, uh, you know, one of the guys that, you know, we're doing is having some issues in this. And he kind of told me about it. And I was like, dude, give him my number. And I, I, he called me and we talked and he was having some issues where, um, you know, he can't put on a pound. He's eating 3000 calories and this, and, uh, he was having stomach issues. So they gave him a bunch of Prilosec basically cemented his stomach. Yeah. And then they were like, Oh, you know, your esophagus is small. So they went in and they augured it out. All of a sudden now he's getting ter- terrible acid reflux because I think the narrow deal and what do they want to do? Give him the Prilosec to hurt his kidneys in this. And he's like, uh, you know, the chance for esophageal cancer and stomach issues is, goes up. And I'm like, yeah, no, I, I had a, a dad and a half sister that passed away from something like this. Yeah. So, you know, being able to get him into the right place in this. And I, I feel like, you know, those who have the, those who have the ability to invoke change have a right to invoke change. Yeah. And, you know, if there's somebody that I can make a, a quick, easy adjustment or a change or help somebody get on a different path, like that's what we're here for. You know, we do these podcasts and people glean information. I know people have listened to your podcast and you've gotten clients out of it and friends and, yeah. you know, people have, have got information. But I feel like we've, you know, in, in effect, mined so much good quality information and there's so much nonsense in the world. You just can't help but give it away and hope that somebody at least gets the hard, a little bit of it. The hardest thing in my life is not helping people. You know, like I, I go to a Christmas party. I go to some sort of mixer <laughs> and somebody starts telling me, Whatever. Something yeah. they've heard from Dave Asprey or Gary Brecker or whatever. And I'm like, oh, man. Like, So wait a minute. So I, the calories don't count in uh, butter coffee. I'm like, I I just can't let this go. Like, all right, here, let me, you know. Uh, but, you know, I, I heard, I, I forget who I who I heard say it. And, I, and I'm probably not going to get it exactly right. But it was, I think it might have been Jordan Peterson. And um, he said, you know, if, if there's something that you know you can do that will improve your life or the lives of those around you. You're morally obligated to do it. 100%. That's hard to argue with. Yeah. Like, um, Jordan, like how do you not, how do you, like, how do you say, nah, like Jordan, just because it'll help them or help me doesn't mean I have to do it. It's like, well, Jordan Peterson, what else am I doing? He <laughs> said, uh, he said so many, uh, so, you know, of the things I've read and, you know, heard him speak in podcasts and whatnot and, and even seeing him in person and go and see him again. He said so many things that were so impactful to alter the trajectory of lives. Yeah. And then we'll hear people shit on him. And like, you know, like that movie that came out where it was like, uh, I forgot where they, you know, um, uh, the one with Florence Pugh and um, where the guy was a kind of a cult leader and the guy was like, oh, I, I, I was imitating Jordan Peterson. Mm. Jordan Peterson's like, what the fuck? Yeah. You know, like what have I ever, like it, it, it's amazing to me where you look around and I'll hear people shit on him say these things and I'm like, all I've ever heard is an intelligent man asking questions who's got such a big heart and extremely thoughtful and intelligent, who's thought things through. 
who has zero hubris and just says, this is what the literature says and this is how I understand it. That's it. That's all he ever says. And has a clinical knowledge as being a clinician in terms of- uh, Has his 10,000 hours of yeah. expertise in. And, and and has worked with these people. He's talking about like cross-dressing and he's like, right. I've, I've worked with a ton of cross-dressers. It's always sexual. Right. These guys, you know, pushing their you know dick and balls back and dressing up like yeah. women and going and reading to children because they think it's fun. No, there's a sexual it's component to this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And to say I, it's I, not I, is disingenuous. I've heard him called a pseudo intellectual. Yeah. I'm like, all right, well, Jordan Peter is pseudo intellectual. <laughs> I want to know who is intellectual. Well, but, I heard them refer to Rob Wolf as a pseudo scientist. Right. And my thing is, if Rob Wolf is a pseudo scientist, who's a scientist? Then who's a scientist? Yeah. Uh, uh, one of the most every, intelligent. That, and it, that guy only thinks scientifically. Like every, he can't have a non-scientific uh, thought. We're on a text thread in this, and Rob will fucking like make a uh, like an observation, and I'll be like, I'm gonna have to Google every part of this. <laughs> he's that, that fucking. He's so smart, and, even, and he's even, so intelligent. Even, even when he was learning jujitsu, I mean, obviously he's still learning jujitsu, but I can remember the, like the early states of his jujitsu. His eyes are just off to the side because, like, it's. Like it's a scientific process to yeah. him. He's sitting there thinking about the mechanics of like, oh, like that guy's hip. If I okay, yeah, I need to, and you can just see him thinking through it. Like he, he is, he's as scientific as it gets. And yeah, so and, so when when they were calling Jordan him a Peterson says, oh, he's a pseudo pseudo intellectual. I'm like, well, then who's intellectual? Who, who's intellectual? I, one of the funniest things. It it made me crack up laughing because there was no hubris involved, and because there was such a lack of self awareness as to how freaking smart he is i heard jordan i heard jordan peterson uh on a podcast and he said um he said oh i was in this uh i was in this museum about the bible i guess this is like this multi-story museum just about the bible he said and i figured out that uh and 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 i figured out that the bible is the foundation of all truth and he just says it very matter-of-factly, and then he starts explaining, and it just cracked me up. I'm just going, "Oh, you just you just figured out that little small thing today while you were at, while you were at like, uh, I went for a run, and it turns out the Bible is the foundation I, of like, everything. Yeah, I just I just unraveled the mysteries of the universe today while I was walking around thinking, and uh, and and he, like he didn't even. I mean, obviously, I think he like it's hard to appreciate and it's hard for anybody to appreciate like how smart they are relative to the rest of the world or something. But like it's, it's, you would think when you get smarter, when you get to that level that you would appreciate the fact that 99.9% of the world is not capable of thinking how you think, Um, you know, in volume, speed, technicality, accuracy, whatever. Uh, Like, uh, but yeah, he, I, and you think that that's a guy who could kind of, who could like fill Madison Square Garden to talk about what he thinks? He is. I mean, yeah. we're going to see him at the Moody Center, yeah. and it'll be sold out. It, oh yeah, it's definitely. Like I bought tickets within hours of them starting because yeah. I know yeah, be I know out. they're going to be sold out. I mean, when, and, when, when we think, saw him before at uh, where they do the ACL Live stuff, yeah. Uh, that sold out. Like I was one of the first people to buy tickets. It sold out because I know you went to go yeah. buy them and you're like, there's no more tickets. Yeah. I'm like, well, good thing I got six. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, you just, you just think about how amazing that is in this world that we live in with all this quick soundbite, low attention span scrolling. 
Yeah, but that's that, not us. That thousands of people want to sit in a room and just listen to a guy talk about what he think what he's thinking about right now. Like I have no idea what it's about. They didn't say he's uh, lecturing about this. It was something the effect like, like the title was like standing on the shoulders of giants. Or there, hmm. there was something it, like uh, had a biblical kind of context to it. Hmm. So I assume you know because a, a lot of his talk now is you know uh, interpreting the Bible. Yeah, and, uh, you know. I I've been through most of his Bible series. It's, it's pretty fascinating, just because there's very little Bible stuff. In there. You know, it's like yeah, he'll. Uh, I think the Book of Exodus is like eight hours worth of lecture, and you know, I don't know, it would take you maybe 30 minutes to read it or something, but he, he, he ties all this social science into it and psychiatry. And, um, and it, it, it's fascinating. Like he, he's, he's just, yeah, is uh, really entertaining to just listen to somebody who thinks at that level. Has, has he ever said if he thinks that the, the Bible is, is divine or is it just a collection? Because I mean, it, it's always been amazing to me that people are able to, you know, I mean, millions upon millions of people have analyzed every word, every mm-hmm. letter, the nuance, the positioning, this, I mean, of that text. And, uh, like for me, it like, so, like, I know that like in the 800s, I think it was at the Council of Messiah, they decided which books were going to be in it. They right. had like, you know, something like 68 books and they selected less and, you know, this and they wanted to, you know, craft the word in such a way. Yeah. So, so whenever I hear that, I think, well, like, what weren't we exposed to? What did they decide wasn't there? Like right. what didn't fit within the word? What have they changed? Right. So for me, that's where I was. I found like I, I read a bunch of stuff on the Dead Sea Scrolls mm-hmm. just because that's like the earliest writing we have. And that might be from, let's say, a, a, you know, a few hundred uh, you know years after, let's say, Jesus uh, allegedly lived. Or if they're, I mean, but they do know that there was a man from Galloway and who was born in Bethlehem and this. And, right. You know, there was a carpenter. So it's uh, it's fascinating whenever you know, you get into this nuance that this many people are able to glean this much information and we don't even know if it's all the information or the right information or what's been changed, what hasn't. So I always, uh, I have a hard time following along with that because I'm like, well, you're choosing to interpret that, yeah, but you aren't choosing to interpret the other one. So what if I choose to interpret the verse you aren't interpreting and you choose, all right. And it's like, well, there's also crazy stories in the old Testament. Right. Like I I can't remember the one where like the father gets like raped by the daughters. I mean, there's ones where they got to kill this. I mean like the old Testament shit. And Moses was 900 years years old old, uh, and he built the ark over 120 years and like, all right, that, and, that's, that's kind of hard to swallow. And uh, all the animals of the of the planet went two by two on the boat, which right. means that two penguins right. swam from, from Antarctica, Antarctica right, to go yeah. on the yeah. Which there's yeah. people that like, that's so. I mean, you, you, it's obviously not a literal book. Um, I think Jordan Peterson's kind of idea of it is that it's, um, you know, obviously it's not a book; it's a collection of books. It's a library, right? It's a library of books that were considered by whoever to be the important ones to combine in a certain order. Um, the, you know, what is validating about it is how much is hyperlinked, right? Like um, Jordan Peterson shows a, a, a picture of this. It's like, it's the first hyperlinked document in the world. And he can show there's like 36,000 connections in the Bible that like re- this word, this refers you back to that person. You know, obviously there's <clears throat> like the gospels is like the same, same guy t- or different people telling the same story over and over again. So there's some links in there. Um, <clears throat> and I don't think he's said it this way specifically, but kind of my interpretation of what I believe his interpretation is, is that, um, 
the foundation the foundations for the western world what, mm-hmm. really what we consider the western values to be or christian christian Ju- judeo values right yeah. like they just are that, so that's what we base that off of so if you live if you live in that narrative of the of western values then the bible is the most true thing because it's where you derive truth from it's the first book first set of books that all other books then mimicked off of right and almost certainly would have initially all been compared to the bible for for their accuracy well, because well, did it, you know every civilization their first written text is a heroic epic so the no. uh i mean it if, makes sense dude, yeah. it, well what's wild is so you think about like, that's what uh, would be passed down the most in the verbal world well, yeah sure. so so yeah. what would happen yeah. was these were all oral stories right and then they were you know like think about um uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey were taught in uh, yeah. uh, iambic pentameter, which is extremely complex right. form of writing. But da 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 da, that cadence is very easy to memorize huge right. amounts within the human brain. Right. So you know Homer didn't write. I mean, he was the guy that wrote down the Iliad and the Odyssey, but yet Homer probably didn't create the stories. Right. He just was the guy that wrote it. Right. But uh, Beowulf and you know this. I mean, every culture. There's one in Sanskrit. There's one here. I mean, there's. All through history, the first written text, and I took a class at Berkeley on this, um, and we analyzed them all. Uh, they're all heroic epics. Yeah, um, they're all heroes' journey. They're all heroic epics. They're all taught, but every civilization has their first recorded piece of literature as a heroic epic. Yeah, and you know, I mean, and this this predates the Bible. I mean, you know, if Jesus was, would we in twenty. Uh, 2024, let's say, so over 2,000 years ago. Um, you know, the Bible is since this, but I mean, leading up to that point, I mean, these stories. And then when you look at this person and the stories taught, are they just a collection of older stories? Right. I mean, I've been reading all the Zechari- Zechariah Sechen books, which are all based upon the Sumerian texts. Mm-hmm. And I mean, now that shit is like mind melting because they had like nine kings that ruled for 230,000 years. And then the 10th king ruled for like 15. Yeah. Oh, it's the wildest thing I've ever read. And uh, I, I got into those books, and that guy's just basically translating the Sumerian text based on the Anaki and this. And I know, you know, this stuff's become a little more prevalent because Joe Rogan's talked about it. But really fascinating stuff on our origin, and you know, uh, the the story of uh, you know the, the great flood and Moses and all that. I mean, yeah. they knew that was much longer than what they put in the Bible. I mean, that happened probably with the uh, Unger Dryas and, you know, through the floods and the, you know, sinking of Atlantis and probably to between 10 and 12,000 years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, these stories, there was every culture, and this is wild too, all of these different cultures all have some tale of a giant flood, so we knew it happened. Yeah. You know, and they also found, what were they, like fossilized sea stuff at the top of Mount Everest. I mean, like the tallest peak on the earth they knew was underwater at some point, you know, a two-mile this. I mean, so... There's a lot of pieces within it. I just wonder, like, how much of it are dates and fixed, and you know, we'll never know. But well, maybe. I've also also heard somewhere that uh, a huge number of religions have uh, their god or one of their gods um, something around a transformation of life around December twenty fifth. Because the uh, December twenty fourth to December twenty fifth is the lowest point the sun is in the sky for the entire year, and it doesn't change. Like it goes, you know, progressively well, the lower. Long, uh, the shortest day of the year was December twenty first, which was yesterday, but, which is the winter solstice. Well, but but or is it the it, it's something? It's something about 
uh, I don't know if it's the shortest or, or it's a, I don't know it's, it's a matter of a, a certain amount of time, uh, before and maybe the 21st, the 25th, I don't know, but there's a time in, there's a time where the sun's the lowest in the sky it'll ever be for the entire year and it stays flat for a period of time a day two days three days i don't know whatever it is and then the day it starts taking back they start going back up is from the 25th to the 26th so that's the new birth and so the way i track this is uh um our home faces due north this is exactly north and obviously west and east so from my kitchen window i know standing at like at our sink uh on the 21st I know exactly where the sun is, and there's a, I put a mark on the window, and then over the course of the year, I see the sun go this way. It's pretty interesting, and I because I'm you know I wake up and I see the sunrise. That's and something so, I would do. So That's, from my building, when I when I open up that back door where it is, if I look right to the right on the 21st, and I looked at it yesterday, the sun is all the way over there, and then I see it go all the way this way in the sun, and I know that it's the shortest day. I mean, it got dark yesterday at like 4:30. Yeah, but like all of a sudden it goes all the way this way, and then it's mid june or july i can't remember i know it's december 21st and let's say it's july 21st or whatever i know that all of a sudden in the summer it's as far over there and then from my kitchen window i can't see it mm. so it's pretty interesting i see like the huge sway from this moment so yeah. the way they position my house is perfect yeah for this but i have a mark when i know it's at the 21st so yesterday i told my wife i'm like shortest day of the year the sun's as far as it's going to go this way to the right that's interesting yeah, I I haven't paid that much attention to that, that, but you know, there's glass doors in the back of my house that mm-hmm. <clears throat> that faces exactly east. So I I do notice throughout the the year kind of where the sun where the sun breaks over that hill in the yeah. end, it's like it's progressively moving off to the right hand side. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, I I would love um, so my buddy uh, John Aguilar, um, he you know the the dry stone guy. Oh yeah, he came came yeah. to do those steps. So I, I I'd love to engage him in some like project where we like do something and make some structure where you can kind of view it. Like I'm like, there's gotta be like Raiders of the lost art kind of there's thing. Gotta One be day a year it lines yeah. up and goes through a crystal. Yeah. Like, or, or, yeah. Or, or there's like, two that's s- where you buried your $2 million for the gold. <laughs> I wish. Yeah. Uh, but I, I was like, man, I wish we had like two concentric rings and like one of the rings faced it like whatever, like the longest day of the year and the other was oh, here yeah. and you could sit in a position and see him. So I, I, he's, he's such a cool guy. Uh, he, he's been coming over on Saturdays and we've just been doing random projects. Yeah. And, uh, um, it's pretty fascinating to see all the, all the stone and all that. But I was like, I keep pitching him on this and I'm like, I don't know what this looks like, but I would love to be able to create something that a hundred years from now was still here and people show up and they're like, what the fuck is here? Look at it until up they in, come uh, and they just demo this whole area and build homes. Uh, Look it up in Machu Picchu, because there's something like that there. I can't remember exactly what it was, but you know, how cool was Machu Picchu? <sighs> I think it would have been a lot cooler if I'd gone there straight away. But uh, like I'd I'd already been in Peru probably ten days before I got there, so I've already seen a ton of rocks. But some <laughs> like you know, it's like the, it's like the pyramids. I mean, you're talking about these hills oh. that are so damn steep. You almost have to use your hands to walk up well, them. Well, and, and the other one is, is um, so they have these huge stone blocks that they somehow got from the bottom to the top, and there's not a single mark of a rope. There's no scaffolding. There's nothing. The only thing I could think of. You, you couldn't, and there's there's rocks there that you couldn't get a razor blade between. Yeah. Like they, they fit so perfectly. And some of them, some of them are as big as this room. Yeah, no, they, 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 they were talking about like 150 ton stones. Yeah. That they, they know where they quarried them. Right. 
they know where the quarry is. They can tell you where yeah. the quarry is because we came from the quarry. And we took the train from the town where the quarry yeah. and it was like and nine, nine miles away. And, and even if you followed the valley around, I mean, it's and these are but these are not but they subtle slopes. There's no adjustments to the rock face, so there's no like rope marks and there's nothing. I mean, the the only thing I could think of is uh, there's that guy in Florida that built that thing. Like, I think it's called the Crystal Palace. So there's a uh, uh, and the guy basically that had, thing made out of ice. No, it's made out of these huge stones. Okay, and he built this thing and he did it all by himself at night when nobody was watching. And he had this box, and he basically what he did is he could tune the frequencies of the stones. Yeah, I've heard and, about. And when the phone stones that. would vibrate, he could push them around and move them. I've and heard that they for the somehow pyramid. like either they were going to like take his land or they bought it or sold it. He like moved the entire thing across the street to another property by himself in the middle of the night, and nobody saw anything. This is in New York. No, it's in Florida. Florida. Yeah, it's called. I think it's called the uh, Jacob. Look it up. It's called the Crystal Palace, or the Crystal. Stone Palace. Is this guy alive? No, he since passed away, and he never told anybody we how didn't he did interrogate it. Interrogate him or something? No, no. <laughs> this but dude he, is an alien. He said he's, he, a time he's like, I know how the ancients built all of these monuments and how they built it all. There's no video and, or and there was from this. Guy? There was somebody that spied on him that said he had this box, and the he was he was like tuned, he had some box that he used to like tune them, and he, he found a vibration within the stones and could effectively when they vibrated they moved and they levitated and he was able to push them. So the only thing that's ever made sense to me with Machu Picchu was they found a way to tune the vibration and somehow like either vibrate them or float them or something. It's the only thing that makes sense. But they can tune vibration. I mean, I could... Uh, Jake, did you find it? Yes, it's called Coral Castle. Sorry, Coral Castle. What did I say? Yeah, so, so look at it. It's called Coral Castle. And these huge stones, the guy built it by himself in the middle of the night and nobody ever saw him do it. And he, he made the comment, I know how the ancients built built the world. And he built this whole thing. It's this is a mechanical box? Yeah, he had some box that they said he saw. But I actually went to it when I lived in Florida because I heard about this. So I, I went and visited it and it's, it's fucking impressive and they talk about it. I could I could see if you're, like, if you're talking about a horizontal surface and you have, you know, right? Because like, you know, I have this, this thing on my, on my phone that's so slick you know there you know because you get the vibration and now okay you know you don't have that and i can move this around but yeah how am i gonna go up a hill yeah that that's the only thing i can think like of I, don't, I don't is i don't understand that. is uh, maybe they had scaffolding and maybe they vibrated it up into it i mean it's, it, it's scaffolding made out of what that holds a 150 ton but rock. but what if it just needs a certain amount to vibrate off of? I don't know. I'm just making know. shit up. But in in the legend of this guy, uh, yeah, it says how they were both. But in the legend, he had some box, and what they what the the box did is they tune the stone into such a frequency that the that the stones were easily moved. Yeah. Well, coral. I know the I know the coral know, castle, not crystal yeah. palace. I I know the. I know the quarries for the pyramids were like eight or nine miles away and they floated them down the Nile river. Yeah. They, they have drawings of that or, or uh, cave or um, there's hieroglyphic drawings of this thing. So if they did that, like they had to vibrate them on onto a raft of some well, sort, well, floated down the river, vibrate them off the raft. Here's my thought. I don't think that Ramses built the pyramids. I think they're older. I think he, I think he did a construction project to rehab them. Hmm. But I think I don't think he built them. Have you seen? Uh, I don't think it's super solid, but uh, Antarctica having 
two pyramids that mirror I, Cairo I, and uh, I asked Andy and I asked Sorelli if they saw pyramids and they well, said they didn't. But there's one. I mean, there's uh, a lot of Antarctica there. Did, but, did, did but you I see saw, the one? I saw. There's one in Thailand. I saw an aerial. I don't know if it's Google Earth satellite or if it was an airplane or whatever, but I saw an aerial of it. It's convincing. Like you can't say for sure, but it's convincing. And I want to say that that was that they calculated that out to be like exactly the opposite <laughs> end of the globe. Like if you drew a line straight through there, it, it wouldn't the surprise globe, me. It would I mean, come out right there. They found a, a, a pyramid. I want to say, I think it's fascinating that we don't know how something was built at least, at least 4,000 years ago. Right. But we well probably a lot longer than that. And we have a, no idea how we built it. There's this pyramid. I think it's in Thailand um, that I watched on that uh, uh, Graham uh, Hancock deal. Mm-hmm. They have a pyramid that's like dwarfs all the other pyramids that they were like, there's no written text of. It's like that uh, that cave that they found in China that had something like 30 million tons of rubble removed to make these cave system. And uh, they found it, and there's no recorded history of it. Nobody claims it, nobody, nothing. Like, they have nothing. They Like, it just appears. And uh, But that thing in, yeah, they have this huge pyramid in Thailand. Oh, wow. That's massive. And uh, the people, like, they don't, the language they don't know, they don't know who carved it, they don't know how long it's been there, there's no stories of it. So, I mean, it really it really points to this, like, there was probably more advanced civilization, and then, you know, Ice Age hits, Unger Dryer, the explosions, this, I mean. It makes a lot of sense. It's, a, think well, that, it's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah, and it makes a lot of, and, and when you think that way, it, it kind of points to the, you know, to the very realistic possibility that the inevitability, <laughs> like that what we're moving towards is inevitable. Well, it, you know, it's this, a self-fulfilling it's just, prophecy. Yeah, it's just it, like a recycling yeah. of the world. Yeah. It's like, hey, well, well, that's you what, know, 90, was it 98 or 99% of every species that's ever been on yeah. the planet is extinct. And so we're going to be one of those eventually. And then maybe something very similar to us comes along again. And maybe we're something, maybe we're the fifth or sixth go around well, with this who knows well there's uh there's some pretty amazing fossil stuff like um i've like i've you know been doing a bunch of uh, work around the property and i want to get a ginkgo biloba tree i don't know if you ever seen their bitching big yellow trees mm-hmm. uh it's the oldest recorded fossilized tree they've ever found it's like you know the earliest fossil was like 200 million years ago that this tree has existed mm. so they call it a living fossil so i've been trying to get one because i think it'd be cool in the past year but, i mean dude there's stuff like that i mean uh, they know how long i mean octopus showed up and there was no excuse like no reason for them to just there they are and next thing you know they haven't changed in millions of years yeah uh we had a guy on the podcast who was a phd uh, marine biologist and i'm trying to remember his name it'll come to me in a second but he, his comment was every time life gets demolished or gets knocked back it crawls back out of the sea yeah and uh, yeah. uh john sapolsky is his name but he when he said that i was like Ooh. but i mean it's it's pretty amazing here we are standing here like looking at these things and like, so we, we've seen drawings and we hear the stories of Ramses building the pyramids and this, but then when they did the math for the time that in which he said that they, he built them, it's impossible. They would have had to set a stone every two minutes, 24 hours a day for like 26 years straight to even attempt it. Right. I mean, it was theoretically impossible. I mean, there's no way slaves built it. I mean, just, just the, the numbers and the math, like just don't align. Like, like the fact that it's, you know, true North, not just like on, but it's true north. I mean, it's it's level. Plus, they, when have you ever seen master craftsmanship from slaves? 
You don't. I mean, that's there's not, no way that's not how that happens. No, no. I, mean, I mean, but but that they encoded all of these different things within the world, like the circumference and the mass of the Earth are all in the height right. and the sizes. Right. They know like the speed of light is in this. I mean, it's like if you were going to leave something that you knew everything was going to get destroyed, but you wanted to be able to say for tens of you know millions of years that you know here are yeah, the when, numbers that matter. <clears throat> this is how you do it in mathematics. Yeah, wouldn't that be really cool that if 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 uh if there was a culture that was way more advanced than we are currently, you're just like, Hey, we're on our way out. Let's, let's leave something. <laughs> and they, yeah. and they could throw that thing together quickly. Cause they don't, you know, like, yeah, whatever, take a couple of fingers. years. I was like, yeah, whatever we know how to do it. Like, well, we'll leave something behind. That'll be easy to interpret. You know? Well, um, in, in the Zachariah Sechen books, and we're not smart enough to interpret it yet. <laughs> it's, it's pretty wild. So what they said is that when the Anaki came, the reason that they came to earth was gold was plentiful and they needed the gold to put in their atmosphere to block the radiation from the sun because they destroyed their atmosphere. And so they came to earth to mine gold. And so what they did is they genetically modified different versions of humanity to figure out which could be the best in terms of like mining their gold. So that's why humans were, you know, created. What's this from? So Zechariah um, wrote a series of books based upon the Sumerian texts. He translated all the Sumerian texts. So the Sumerians are why we have 60 minutes in a day, 360 degrees. Like all of we know what we know about time and measurements and all this comes from the ancient Sumerians, which are the oldest culture. Okay. You know, Mesopotamia, pre, you know, right like Mesopotamia, Iraq, kind of that part yeah. of the world. So the Sumerians, uh, they had all of these crazy texts and this guy went and translated them into a series of books. And so I've been reading through the books and these are all their origin stories that, you know, these beings that we know as gods, whether it be, you know, and it makes sense when you talk about like the gods on Olympus and the Roman gods and this, it's all about the same people Right, came from this uh, planet and they're known as the Anaki. And they were these, like you see the pictures of the Sumerians where there's like a big dude holding a lion, like a, like, like a kitty cat, Mm. like they were huge. And it's, it's pretty fascinating, but going through all of the origin stories. And then they had like this, like a, it was called like the, uh, the record of kings, the list of kings. So the first nine kings ruled for 230,000 years. Mm. And then like the 10th king ruled for like 15 and then 30 and then 20. I mean, it's it's really wild. So I've been reading through these books. The Bible's it, weird, it's weird called, stuff like that Yeah, too. it's called The 12th Planet. Yeah. And just different. And so I, I just finished that one. I'm in the next one. And it's um, as I'm reading these origin stories in this, I mean, it makes as much sense, even probably more sense, then, I mean, like, I, I read all the origin stories to my kids. Like, if you read the origin story of, like, uh, the Norse gods, how uh, there was a huge giant, they decapitated and broke his head, and that's basically the world we live in. I mean, it's, like, mm-hmm. it's his skull. Um, but, uh, like, when you read all these how origin they stories. they the world was spherical back then? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, but when you read all these origin stories, one's as good as the other. Yeah. Right? So God created the world, and on the sixth day or seventh day, he rested. I mean, they're like you're reading them, and you're like, they all are different origin stories. I mean, yeah. when you read the Greeks, and you read the, the Roman, I mean, they all have origin stories. And, you know, in one way that I've only recently kind of thought of is like, well, shit, maybe they're all true. Like and there's maybe, just different interpretations. Like maybe the like it's all, all different ways of describing the same thing. That yeah. there is some sort of universal intelligence, some sort of like master fiddler out there, something that's playing with this. Because it's like either either something created everything or nothing created everything. Well, here, nothing is hard to. It's hard to say that everything came from nothing. So, well, but, that, but if you if you have a god, where did the god come from? So I understand like all that, but it's like the fact that it's so recurrent 
and that it's impossible for a society to not have a religion, right? Yeah. Like the leftists have a religion. <clears throat> the atheists in America have a religion. It's just not around God. It's around themselves. I find it's it, a political religion. I, and and I, I posed this to Rob one time. I think it's more work to be an atheist than anything. Yeah. So I think it's easier to believe that there's something yeah. than there is to believe that there's nothing. There's a lot of work to say there's nothing. I don't believe nothing. Right. Like, I don't know if what religion, uh, first of all, I don't believe there's anything that's organized religion that has super validity. Right. I grew up Catholic. And, right. And, 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 and that's what I'm saying. Like all the organized religions all kind of seem to tell the same story in a general sense, one way or another. So, well, like, But they're also about control. Right. Right. And they're about <laughs> and, and controlling the masses. They've all been abused. Yeah. Yeah. And they are. And they and, need and, to be separate from the state. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and they are. I mean, it's, uh, or I'm sorry, they need to be. Yeah. But uh, that's what I'm getting into with this immortality key, that when you look at the original Christian mystics and some of the early stuff, it's ventured exactly in the opposite direction of what they originally envisioned it to be. You know, I mean, I, yeah. you know, there was a, a movie, I think it was called Stigmato, where this guy like somehow, I'm going to fuck this one up, but um, basically what he finds is a text of Jesus, like the original writings, like don't find me within the walls, find me in nature and this. And mm. I remember thinking like, I like that a lot more. Like, why do we have to sit in this building? Can't this guy be telling this to lease him outside so I can hear the birds chirp right. and the winds blow? Right. Like, why do I have that's to my, sit? That's always been my problem with Catholicism. It's like, there's somebody in between me and God. It's like, well, what? they like, didn't need, I, I they need to, did not even, man. they didn't encourage us to read the Bible. Yeah. So we went there, there were hymn yeah, books. because they interpreted the Bible yes. for you. Yeah. So you get a hymn book and yeah. they tell you not to read the Bible. Just understand the, the teaching of God from us. Yeah. So then we would go and we would listen. And I always like listening to the homily. I mean, it was four stands, three sits, two kneels, and I was in and out in sub 45 minutes. Yeah. So it was just something we did every Sunday. And if we weren't complete fucking assholes, we'd get to go to McDonald's and get like a, <laughs> uh, a sausage patty egg and a, whatever the... Uh, potato slip thing you know the hash browns oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. right and then the awful orange juice but that was cool yeah and uh you know i would sit there and listen and the problem i had that everything felt disingenuous they would talk about this and you know like uh you know jesus washing the the feet of the poor and all you know this great man jesus and i'm like uh, the stories you tell do not lend claim to you standing up there in front of this gold cross wearing this ornate outfit with this crazy fucking hat. I mean, we're in here and they pass around. You got to give them money for what? Like, it just, yeah. it, it, the, the whole thing felt disingenuous and it well, felt backwards it's, it's, to me. It's always hard to believe in a leader whose who's claims empower and enrich him. Like the Joel Osteens of the world. Well, like everybody, yeah, like, like our every, politicians, like yeah. our leaders, it's like everything you say kind of endorses the things that gives you more power and more money. It's kind of hard for me to believe that that's the ideal yeah. when that's not what any of us want, you know? Yeah. And, and I have the same problem. Um, you know, like I grew up Southern Baptist and it was like a very shameful thing, you know, like a very different world. And I, I really got turned off by organized religion. Um, and I've been going to church out here recently, um, and uh i was yeah, blown away at your and, wedding everybody i met was from uh from your church and they were like oh i know kirk from church and i yeah. was like that goes to church I, I actually i started going when they indicted trump and i told brandy i'm like you're never going to church alone again because i'm just thinking yeah like i i went there for security i, I stood by the door took you know uh and then uh and and i really like the pastor you met him that that big guy yeah, he's a nice dude good football player like a guy's guy you know like a um 
and and you know i'd i'd say i'm an i'm an enthusiastic advocate advocate of christian principles yeah. because i think that's what foundation you know the foundation and so the foundation of society so i'm trying to re, uh, read and learn about them but um you know, the pastor's father-in-law is a preacher a retired preacher and he's you know last three or four months he's been driving a bentley to church Mm. Yeah. You know what they say, it's harder for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a rich man to go to heaven. Yeah. But you know what the eye of the needle is? It's the entrance inside the gate and the camel just has to stoop. <laughs> That's all it was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I know. I just thought it was a funny story. Yeah, but, but uh, I mean, it's just kind of, that's a kind of a turn off. It's like, well, is it like... Yeah, could whatever. I could buy a Bentley if I wanted to buy a Bentley. You could yeah. buy a Bentley if I wanted. If you wanted, but, well, you know, but there's, I, I live down a dirt road. There's, I, I there's, do drive the Bentley. I drive a Duramax. The, you, the, you drive a uh, you know a Tremor, which is the Bentley of Texas. Yeah, and and uh, it's like you know there's there's a there's the possible interpretation of it being a grift because you can afford a Bentley, and then there's a much more off putting idea that. It, 70 year old man needs to drive a bentley to church like what, what's that for you know mm -hmm. a godly man a guy who's um given his life to jesus and you know supposedly he's doing everything to help shepherd other people towards heaven or the eternal whatever well, well, why why does he need a bentley like why why would he want to why would he want to drive a bentley and I... And why should I tithe if he's driving a Bentley? <laughs> like, obviously, he's done just fine. <laughs> well, I, you know, um, I don't well, know. Well, it's... Uh, that, those, those are the things that turn me off about organizing. It's the Tammy Faye Bakers. Yeah. It's the Joel Olsteins. It's all of these people mm -hmm. that, you know, claim this sanctimonious, you know, religious right. And yet, you know, as he goes out and climbs in his helicopter and gets on his G5 and this... Right. And you're like, you know, I'm really glad you have all that stuff. But yeah. that stuff was bought by donations and old women sending in money to fund your deal. And is it, you know, my who, who am I to tell you? But then it's, 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 uh, I don't know. It just feels disingenuous. Yeah. Um, you know, is it better than all the others? I don't know. Uh, I do. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's. Um, uh, I always feel something is broken when I'm sitting in a church. Yeah. Right. And uh, like, if anything, like I feel more connected to whatever this thing is when I sit outside mm -hmm. and, I, and I, I walk down in the creek or I work on the land or, you know, any of the stuff or like the improvements or any of the things, even just when I graded that hill and we did those steps as I was sitting out there the other day at sunset, uh, Jamie and I were sitting out there and like I saw the birds and this and the deer and everything. And I feel more connected to whatever the spirituality or whatever this thing is in this world than I do within the walls listening to somebody fucking preach right. at me and I use preach in that term where they're literally like standing above you talking down to you right. in many ways and that just never made sense and then when I was uh, reading this immortality key the exact thing that I felt as a six seven eight nine year old sitting in church is exactly what he discussed the the ego that we have you know the um what you call it the uh the megala, amygdala, yeah. yeah, that um, you know forces us to analyze all these different things. Is this a grift? Is this bullshit? Am I safe? Am I not? All these things. Yeah. Every, this is ingrained within us, and yet here we are sitting in this place where this doesn't seem like what it should be. With somebody telling us these things, that how do we know? Show me, prove it to me. I can't. You have to. Right. Where else in my life? Hey, you know what? I got a financial advisor who says I'm going to make you seven return one. Trust me. 
You just have faith. Just have faith. If he says that, you're going to fucking fire him. Yeah. Uh, hey, is this meat? Uh, how old's this meat? Um, it's safe. Have faith. Yeah. Well, there isn't, um, hey, did you fill my car up with gas? Have faith. Right. Like there's nothing that we do in this world that I survive upon faith. Right. So yet this one place for it and not to say that I don't believe in somebody bigger. It just, and then the crazy part is, is when people go kill each other over it, where I'm like, this is like arguing, killing each other over whoever's better imaginary friend. Yeah. It feels and crazy I, to me. I think it's hard. I think it's hard to say that, um, that you're right and everybody else is wrong, regardless of what your religion is. But I think it's also completely fair to say that, hey, there's something bigger out there, there's some higher order or something. There's some there's some kind of master maestro or something out as there. As long I don't, as it makes you a better version of yourself. It yeah, I don't know what it is. But but if it makes but you a, a But worse I don't person. understand it, so I'm open to the idea that that exists. And that's where I'm at. I'm like, hey, very well could be. Like if if it turned out there's a rapture and Jesus walked into earth, I'd be like, eh, go, yeah, go figure. I mean, like not shocked, but didn't not really sure I believed that. But hey, that's you know, that's within the realms of possibility. Yeah, but, I don't know. But, but even if like you know that like the you know somebody shows up and it's the holy reckoning and you go up and you're like, you know, have you been a good person? Have you done what you said you were going to be? Did you you know take care right. of others? Did you leave the world better than what you found it? Right. If you can't answer yes to that, then like I don't think like oh you just happen to you know go for the right. I just I don't know, man. Like a I mean, the, a lot the, of these the one like thing weird say, fucking. Um, the only thing I could call like because I went to CCD, there was all of these weird like clauses. Yeah, like if you touch yourself right. and it feels good, you're going to go to hell. Right. How do you tell an eight year old kid that like if you touch your privates and you like it? Yeah. Like, yeah, and I, then they I, asked us how many of us has touched our privates, yeah. and we were all like, "Like when I pee, yeah." Oh, well, you you can touch it when you go. Like if you got to hold yourself when you pee, yeah. but if you like touching yourself, so yeah. wait a minute, dude, are you saying I shouldn't like to go pee? Like it just this physiologic need you have. Like, it you know. didn't fucking make any sense. And yeah. then it was, uh, I mean, like uh, like they just had all of these rules and this and stipulations in here, and I'm like, there's no fucking way. Like I'm I'm not going to be able to remember all this. Yeah, to to me, it's like. I don't know if it's all the Abram religions. I, I, I don't have any kind of sophisticated beliefs around religion. Um, but I, like, I, I know the foundation of Christianity, Judeo, Judeo-Christian values is that we're all, we're all uh, equally created, right? We're all, we're all equally valuable and we have sort of God-given rights. Whether that's a magic Life, person given it, pursuit it's like, but hey, you have the right to not be killed. You have the right, you know, you have, you have, yeah, you have the right to live the life that I feel unimpeded right. by you. And you have the right to say what you want to say and do what you want. Like, so you have these God-given rights. If you say, well, there's no God, all right, then what are your rights? And where do they come from? If the rights are given to you by the government and you're living in a democracy, then they can just vote the rights away. So if they can vote them right away, do you even have rights? And if they can imprison you for them today and not imprison you for them tomorrow, decide whether, like, what, what are rights then? So that's, to me, kind of the quagmire. Like, that's the part where it really gets slippery to me. I'm like, well, or we kind of have to have a God if we're going to have rights. And if yeah. we if we don't, then it's really argue, it's really easy to argue that you don't have the right to do anything. Like if the population, if your little society, your clan, your club, your tribe, your city, your state, your country, the world decides, you know, you can't eat meat anymore. 
then you're like, it's my religion. I'm like, okay, well, it's like eat, in the Mandalorian. I can't eat meat when they anymore. were like, hey, hand hand your guns over. He's like, I can't. It's my religion. Yeah, that's yeah. what I joke. Is that uh, it, you I've, know, I've never watched the Mandalorian. Oh, so in the Mandalorian, they uh, he comes up and they're like, hey, you gotta leave your guns. He's like, I can't. They're like, why? He's like, they're my religion. I can't be yeah. separated from them. Yeah. So it's like uh, that's what I joked. I'm like, he was a Texan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was like, uh, guns and, and uh, barbecue. Like, I I feel like. God-given rights are to, you know, own weapons and to be able to defend myself and uh, be able to lift weights, eat meat, eat a high-protein diet, and you know what? Not be an asshole. Well, I mean, it, it just, it's mind-boggling to me that there is even a concept out there that a government of people who are elected by the electorate can tell the electorate that they can't eat something or can't do something or can't, like, what? Like, what? What? It's like, you all want to do this. We're saying you can't. You elected us to represent you. And our representation of what you want is to tell you you can't have what you want. How does that make any damn sense? Why well, Why does the government even have a say whether or not I, whether I eat meat or drive a car or drive a truck or drive a diesel or drive an electric? Like, why would they have any say? That doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Well, what they're looking at, like, they're trying to... Um arrange things in such a way for the general good like how do 330 million people live in concert so what right, but, but they don't do it for the general good they no, do it for themselves, themselves. <laughs> yeah because special interests and private interests are what pays for them right yeah but uh like the so the problem i've had is like okay if, if drugs are bad and you want to outlaw them it's fine but why are these drugs okay and these aren't and the ones that you say are okay that get uh, protruded by the pharmaceutical companies can be just as abused and just as deadly if not worse like I'll, I'll just the, the government breaks their own laws all the time. Well, it, it's like when uh, when Kate had her surgery and they gave her that uh, gabapentin. Yeah, dude, that I, I told her I was like, hey, they want me to take this, and they, they and even the, the I think the doctor, the nurse was like, oh, this is super benign. And we had just had that guy on the podcast. Remember yeah. what we did with Sorelli, where that guy yeah. was talking about like getting off all the drugs were fine, but the gabapentin to, like was was life. Oh yeah, the pilot. Yeah, the pilot. Yeah. So she was taking it, and I was like, "Whoa, whoa don't take this!" Yeah. And she still had to like it's messed up her GABA receptor, so she has mm -hmm. to take the GABA supplement, which I get from you. And um, it's uh, it, it's just fascinating that they don't necessarily know what the long-term effects of any of this stuff. I mean, look how many people have died for, from opiates and Oxycontins and this and this, and these people are multi-multi-billionaires. Completely safe. Yeah. And have made billions of dollars, and then all of a sudden they get sued and they got to give a couple hundred million, but they've already made their billions. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then all of a sudden they're like, oh, and uh, that mushroom that grows out of the ground, you're going to go to jail because that's a Schedule one, Right. Right, to eat that. Like, And like, the FDA's charter says that if something exists in nature without being modified... Like you, you haven't done anything to modify it. It just exists in nature. It grows and you can consume it. It's beyond their reach. If it, if you put it in your body and it has physiologic effects, it's, it's beyond, it's beyond. So are they reach. saying, cause that people dry it. So marijuana, you can just go grab a marijuana bud and eat it. That shouldn't be illegal. Alcohol completely synthesized, completely yeah. processed, not a drug. Well, look how many people die from alcohol. I mean, they, they do it look, all the time. Look they at DUI. Like I'm, I'm, the, the I'm, FDA gave a patent to Pfizer for vitamin B6. For niacin? No, is that, no B6 isn't niacin, is it? No, I, I don't remember. I, I don't care. Um, yeah, so they so they have a they have a patent for vitamin B6 because the most common serious vitamin B deficiency. And there's people who can't methylate, methylate obviously. 
Uh, and then the other one is uh, P6P or something like that, that, that next stage. And they're trying to get a patent on that too. And then once they do, they have complete control over everybody who has that genetic disorder for something that you can get from food. But the, if, if they have the enzymatic deficiency where they can't convert it to P6, P6P or P2P, whatever the hell it is, drive me crazy. I got to go to the bathroom. Okay. Well, <laughs> I was going to say, dude, we're at like two hours and 40 minutes. So I think it's a pretty good place to end. Okay. We're going to wrap right. it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Call so, it a day. <laughs> <laughs> well, Doc, thanks for coming in and chatting on another episode of Power Theory Radio. If you guys want to check out Dr. Parsley, drkirkparsley.com. We'll have all of this stuff in the show notes. I will also tell you I am a huge advocate and daily user of Doc Parsley Sleep Remedy, which you can actually find at Doc Parsley Sleep Remedy. DocParsley.com yeah, or DocParsley.com. Doc, yeah, which uh, I take. I, I know some people take t- uh, take one. I take two. and uh, I, I take two. But I'm also a big dude. Our but, mutual uh, client takes two. He's not a big dude. Oh, well, uh, I have been a user and a uh, advocate and believer for many, many years and uh, love it. So um, I consider Doc not only one of my best friends in the world, but also the, like, my he's on speed dial for me. So yeah, I appreciate you coming and chopping it up. Yeah, man. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. See you. Hey there, Power Athlete Nation. Big shout out to all the heavy hitters who stuck around till the final whistle. If you've been soaking in the knowledge bombs and epic tales you've been dropping for free, here's your chance to be a game changer. Swing by klfi.com slash powerathlete and toss a few bucks our way to keep the podcast fueled and firing on all cylinders. That's ko-fi.com forward slash powerathlete. Your support makes a difference. See ya.